The following program contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. Yo, 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 one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, the Get Off My Lawn podcast is back, finally, in full effect, in full effect. Once again, this your man Jay, aka JC, aka Jay Caesar, aka Law T, aka the Hip Hop Taliban, and I'm happy that all the technical glitches have been worked out we're hitting 2016 fresh and my mic is sounding bug andre cole you there uh turn me up man make sure my shit sound clear (laughs) (laughs) hey yo my mic is sounding bug professor belk (laughs) you there peace (laughs) (laughs) oh it was a long time coming this episode and if all the subscribers uh, at the end of 2015, I dropped a uh, sort of a, uh, a half a three quarters of a podcast to just update everybody about everything that we've been going through trying to get a new episode out. And let me drop this mob deep. Get some drums. And technical difficulties plagued us the last few months, and we recorded a spectacular, incredible, lively, entertaining, insightful podcast. And due to technical glitches, only my voice came out and the music lost everything, all the wisdom of Professor Belk, all the insight from Black Cloud, East Coast Dre, but now, thanks to my 14-year-old son, uh, we are back and 
in full effect. Everybody's vocals are on point. The music. Did he help you program the VCR? <laughs> yeah, it was flashing 12. <laughs> the VCR. <laughs> the VCR was flashing 12. It's funny. I mean, you guys have. Let's see. Dre, run it. You have. I have a daughter. Yeah, two daughters, 16 and 6. Ooh. And Belle, you have. I have two little people under the age of three. The girl is two and a half. The boy is 13 months. Wow. Yeah, that's the oof. Well, here's the thing. Uh, for Belk, this is going to come in handy for you because you're already, you know, in the 40 range and, <laughs> you know, you got a baby. But today I had to paint the uh, repaint my security door. And I realized, like, wow, this is why you have a son. I mean, I'm assuming not trying to be sexist. If I'd had a daughter, I would have dragged her out there and made her sand and paint this door also. But I just had a moment where I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is why. (laughs) This is why I have a son. You're going to get this work, young man. You're going to get this work, young man. So I had him had him help me sand and prime and paint this door and then uh two days ago he helped me troubleshoot and work out the software so we could get the podcast up and running so yeah man it's it's finally paying some dividends (laughs) however finally earning his keep around here in a sense but you know we had a, you know, now that he's a teenager, high school, ninth grade, it's, you know, we've been having talks all along, but now the talks get serious because now the talks are, in some cases, life and death. Uh, see, now my, my phone's ringing, but because I'm real hip hop, listen to my ringtone. Nice. Drop. That's right. But I'm going to miss that call and get back into this. So, yeah, so the conversations we have now are like those serious, (laughs) furious styles uh, (laughs) types of talks. And the other day, uh, had to take him on his first trip to go buy condoms. Wow. Yeah. And it was it was crazy because we went we went to CVS. So my idea or my thought process is this that the reason uh teenagers especially boys do or do not use condoms initially is because they either are too scared to go in the store and buy them or they don't have any experience with them or whatever. So my idea is that, all right, explain it all to him. Have him take some money, go in the store, buy a pack. And then when he's handling the business that high school boys handle when they don't have a girl, then, you know, you'll get your experience. And how to open it up and not put it on backwards and get the, you know, sensitivity, sensitive lube on the wrong side. 
So, dude, I'm just trying to get through potty training, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm so far away from this right now. I know, and by the time you know, I know it's coming. I know it's coming, but dude, man, oh boy, yeah, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> it, it it's crazy, and when we and the thing was, so when we went to CVS, um. They still have the condoms locked up behind a case like it's gold bricks or some shit. What? So, yeah. <laughs> so that's what he's going to be up in there embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> we, need a, we need a clerk on aisle nine. There's a horny kid here trying to get some wrappers. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Clerk on aisle nine. I had to explain. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I'm like, lambskin? I don't even know why they still make that, but don't mess with that. That's porous latex i was like you got your trojan your lifestyle your durex i said trojan okay lifestyles in a pinch durex i don't know that's 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 i'm I'm not familiar but whatever i had to explain i'm like i'm standing there in cvs we're standing there and i'm explaining about (laughs) ribbed for her pleasure i'm like that's advanced you don't need to know about that don't worry (laughs) (laughs) and like I said, it was it was crazy. But so after we went there, then we went over to Walgreens, and their approach is different. So what they do is they put all the condoms. They're not locked up, but they are right in the front of the store, like right in between the two cashiers. So everybody who's standing in line sees you, you know, looking up. So I'm like, hey, fuck it, got to do it. So we're standing there. Going through again, same thing. But the prices were too high, so I'm like, no. So then we went to Target. So then we get to Target. Target's real cool. They're just out, you know. I told them, hey, this is what you need. If you, when the time comes, when you need, this is, you know, you can come here, go here, pick it up. Which case you're going to get? He was like, the blue ones. Right. Get those. (laughs) Don't buy three. Just buy, you know, it was buy, like he had to have Dodger blue. <laughs> Why? <Well, I, laughs> he tripping? I also had to explain to him. Well, the blue Trojans were like the basic, the like entry oh. level Trojans. And I was like, and then there's <laughs> entry like, level. No pun intended. <laughs> Get your dirty mind out the gutter. So then I had, and then of course I had to explain. Well, Magnum, I was like, that's for the big boys. I said, I don't know what you're working with. I don't want to know. <laughs> I said, but you know, there's Magnum, then Magnum XL. Now, you know, again, I don't want to know. Like an episode of Blackish, man. I don't need to know. <laughs> so my whole Straight thing is like that an episode of Blackish. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but basically. The, the sex talk I got from my dad was, don't get anybody pregnant. The end. That sounds about right. And then my mom ordered some kind of how to talk Schoolhouse to your rock. kid about sex book. And this is old school. So she sent a self-addressed stamped envelope away to, who knows, Pueblo, Colorado or some place. <laughs> And so one day I came home to get the mail and I see an envelope written in my mom's handwriting, but with my name on it. So I open it up and it's like got cartoon pictures and, but she never mentioned it to this day. She's never brought it up and I'm not bringing it up with with her. So 
I figured it's a new day. I'm supposed to be a modern, progressive parent, so I needed to step in and have this talk. And like I said, we've been having sex talk since their first sex ed class was in fifth grade, so it's been escalating and building. But um, you know, so we'll see how it, we'll see how it all how it all pans out. But uh, what did your? You should be better for it. What kind of talks did you guys get? Well, I know. Um, well, a lot of my, I think my conversation was kind of based like what you said, like don't get anybody pregnant. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor, so I was always reading the encyclopedia. So even at the age of like eight or nine, I was reading about you know reproduction and you know the penis and the sperm and the fallopian tubes. And so my parents knew that I knew the gist of it because I was always reading the encyclopedia about whatever different topics. They weren't trying to go. They didn't, they didn't feel like they had to go deep with me. It was just like, oh, well, he knows the basic what's happening. So it was like, and don't get anybody pregnant. And that was like the gist of it. Like I had like a very educational, like read it yourself, learn it yourself, kind of thing. Huh. Yeah, because you wanted to be a doctor. Right. Yeah, he Wink. was playing doctor already. Right. No, no, I want to be a doctor up until high school. Oh, I believe it, Mr. Bronx Science. <laughs> right, exactly. I believe it. You know, I'm not doubting your credentials. Up, up until the math and science whooped my ass. <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. So what about you, <laughs> Professor? What kind of uh, kind of talk did you get? I mean, my folks didn't have to talk to me about too much because I took advanced placement in biology. I took advanced uh, placement in anatomy and physiology. I knew all that stuff. It was the same thing with, you know, Black Cloud. It was like, listen, you know, we're not in a rush to be grandparents. Slow your roll. <laughs> right. And that was about it, right? And we also got a proper sex education in the public schools when I was in high school. Yeah, And so, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest thing for a young person would be to get a real education about things and don't rely on people in your crew or people in the neighborhood to put you on and certainly don't rely on the Internet. Like if these guys are watching pornography and they're looking for that to be their instruction on how to be sexual, they're going to be a lot of problems. <laughs> Yeah, but see, <laughs> you, know, you might get you might get throw punched. You know, you try to jack <laughs> off somebody's face. <laughs> so, wow, so you got to slow your roll, man. And that's the problem. Like, if these kids are looking for that type of instruction in the wrong places, you put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out. And so, you know, I really respect the way that you're talking about this with your son because he's growing into his manhood. At the same time, though, you know, it's really awkward for our generation of men to try to have these conversations. We were raised by men who had like a foot in the 50s. And here we are. We got one foot in the 50s and one foot in, you know, modernity. Right. And we have to be the bridge. And if he gets somebody pregnant too early, he'll have one foot in his ass. Hey, <laughs> he'll learn real it, quick. The parent just keep it real. Parenthood is expensive, man. It costs about three hundred grand to raise a child to age eighteen, and that's not including college. Yeah, children are expensive, man. Yeah. Are they? So I've so that's that's been our uh, our week. But I was explaining to somebody. I was having explaining to them what what we did the other day. <clears throat> And I said, at this point, 
my two responsibilities are to make him a a good student and a good person. There you go. And Amen. you know whatever it takes. I mean, damn the internet. <laughs> Please, who knows? Who knows what he's looking at? What he's seen? So I knew like way back when. Like I said, we had to start having these conversations. And then of course, you know, there's the the. Uh, the three discussions you have to have about about sex, about friends, and then about the police. And Amen. Right. I think the I think the police uh, discussion was a little more difficult to have because it you have to get into issues of how society views you. Right. And, you know, it's before you become a person, you're an object. Yeah. And so. All right, well, <laughs> that's the, the, the father knows best or hopes to know best portion of this, but... <clears throat> yeah, that's the segment of the program that we'll call the Furious Styles Conversation. <laughs> right. Just to show. We've got, we've got other, other priorities that uh, take significance, but we are finally reconvening to get into part two of the investigation that we began, uh, man, I think last the end of last summer, um, into where hip hop went off the rails, where it went astray, what went wrong, who was responsible, and the first episode uh, drew. An incredible response, uh, Twitter, email, etc. And the feedback uh, let me know that we were really on to something. And it was just difficult trying to get everybody back together. But And the technical difficulties worked out, but we've done that and we're here. So, just to remind anybody who uh, may have forgotten, what we're doing is... We are using the Billboard hip-hop charts, rap hip-hop charts, going back to, I believe they began like the last week or month of 1989, and from that point, we are just going year by year, looking at what songs were number one according to the charts, and basically identifying trends and outliers of which there are quite a few and as we do this we're able to sort of see changes in the music that uh, were either reflecting or reacting to changes in the larger culture society Um, so we're going to get into it and we left off if I'm not mistaken with what 19 where where'd we leave off 1993 93. okay yeah, we I think I'm gonna have to let's see this thing is brutal this Google Docs man is leaving a lot to be desired <coughs> so let me I'm gonna pull this up right here Oh, and for anyone who wants to follow along, you can do exactly what I'm doing, which is going to 
theliberator.com. That's T-H-A-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. And the good people there have been nice enough to host episodes of the podcast uh, where you can go and download those or if there are uh, little extras that we mention, pictures, mp3s, anything else, it will be there. But if you go to the Liberator, go to the Get Off My Lawn section and you scroll down to the CSI Hip Hop Part 1 investigation, there is a link to the PDF of all of these billboard charts, which is what we're using to uh, have this discussion. So, when we left off, we were just getting into 1993, and as we ended 1992, the number one song was by Mad Cobra, Flex, Time to Have Sex, which spilled over into the first week of January. See, somebody's at my door, ringing the doorbell. Ding dong. <laughs> somebody's knocking at my door. Knock, knock. Somebody's ringing my bell. Ding dong. <laughs> this lady's just going to have to... <laughs> it's some uh, homeowners association shit. I'll take care of that later. But You know, meanwhile, the dudes that did that track have children in college now. <laughs> right. Oh, <man. laughs> Talk about case of the PTA. <laughs> there she goes. She just insisted ringing the bell again. Just keep the key, lady. Hold on. I'll get it later. Anyway, Mad Cobra. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, th- this was strange because I guess they just figured, well, he's black. Put him on the put him in the rap category. But it's clearly not a rap song. But Mad Cobra spent close two weeks at the top of the charts and then we get into Ice Cube with Wicked and this up until this point I was pretty much a huge Ice Cube fan and when he got into (laughs) Wicked and this whole album I think this is the Predator album yeah it's Mm -hmm. Predator when he started to switch his style and like on this he clearly had a heavy Cypress Hill influence. Um, Much to their chagrin. <laughs> right. <laughs> then then there was some, a lot of beef. <laughs> some DOS effects and just... I don't, I don't know why he felt that he needed to uh, change, change things up, but he did it, and at least for the first uh, two weeks early in January, he was successful with... Uh, Wicked. Then, uh, January 23rd and the week of January 30th, Positive K, I Got a Man. It's one of the great songs. Yeah, see, and, and like, you know, the song was dope, the video was dope, and we're talking about an era in hip-hop where it's not enough anymore to have a dope track you have to put some visuals to it, right? And so you're about to get into not only a golden age of hip-hop music, but the music video was a thing. Like, you had careers launched on being able to shoot a dope music video. Yeah. And for the for the youngins that are listening, you know, this is a point in hip-hop where women 
were not represented solely as like hood ornaments to be displayed mm. by conquering men. Like if you look at the woman that's the object of his desire in this video, he's coming on strong and she's shutting him down. And yeah. she's portraying herself as being sophisticated, like, yo, you're a herb, you're corny, get away, bamboos, beat it, scram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, right. he keeps coming, but he never calls her out her name, he never disrespects her. You know, it's it's a sophisticated player's approach to a woman, and she wasn't having it. <laughs> right. Not and, at all. Uh -huh. And you and you and you gotta give positive K credit for first of all, right? Because it's the second song he wrote like this. He wrote the song with MC Light, and then he had this right. song where he's the player and he's getting shut down in public by that's why he says oh we're on that again like he really like it was one of those things where you know you have this you know nowadays we all say street harassment what have you but he had the i'm a player trying to holler at this woman and these he was saying all the stuff that men always say to women you know right. I, mean, I don't who can, how long you had that problem he was saying the stuff that men always say which which made it not only relatable but funny fun and it's just a hot song yeah Right. And like you said, there was no, you know, today it'd be like, motherfucking bitch, I'll kill you. <laughs> Suck my dick. Yeah. Bitch. Ho. Exactly. Tramp exactly. trick. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, and there, and I think that, uh, one of the things we mentioned about in the previous broadcast is that you did see examples of, people just like peace love unity having fun like there was a there was fun there were some people dealing with serious issues as we saw sort of the rise of like the doc ice cube some of the like better west coast rhymers with a harder style ghetto boys whatever but then you still had you know the positive k's the leaders of the new school you know case of the pta sobs things that everyone could sort of identify with at some point yeah but, this is still a period where as you go from east coast to west coast north to south you have artists of all different varieties who were still making music that could be fun you know that yeah there are times when you know the music is going to reflect what's happening in the society the music is going to reflect what's happening with the artist and as people go through things they put their ideas down on paper and, and give them expression. And sometimes those things are going to reflect on, you know, major happenings like the Los Angeles riots mm -hmm. or something to that effect. But at other times it's gonna be like, oh, you know, we were chilling, we were having some fun and it was a moment. And I tried to capture that moment in a song. Yeah. This is before you had to kill everybody on the album to right. get some attention. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even you figure that even going back to uh, Fresh Prince, and you know, people said, "Oh, that you know, that's bubblegum rap. It's it's soft." But I would put him up there with Slick Rick as one of the great storytellers uh, in terms of hip hop that have come along. And you know, sure, some of the stuff was lighthearted, but that's you know, he wasn't putting on a costume, at least that I could tell. It was this is my reality, you know. Even even with the show, I went to the park to play some b-ball and got got my ass whooped. I mean, that is a reality for a majority of well, I'm not gonna say a majority, but a lot of people. 
Right. There was a park I could go to in my neighborhood and, you know, hey, it could have very easily gotten my ass whooped, you know. So, like you said, you didn't have to murder everybody on the record. You didn't have to call every woman up, you know, a bitch, a hoe or something like that. Every dude wasn't a nigga. You know, we still had we still had the positive and his name, Positive K. Right. Yeah. So, but, but I also think around this time, you, we had that. There was there was there was a whiff of that though. Around this time, ninety three, there was it was kind of a place where we had this gangster rap portion of the music, where you kind of felt like there's a lot of this violence, a lot of this talk happening. Because yeah. by this time, you had the the Black Sheep album had come out. Remember the Black Sheep intro to the album was this. Whereas Drez rapping is crazy hard. Right. Know, he was saying all this stuff. Don't fuck with my whatever. Like, you know, and then he wakes up. It's a dream. He's like, I dreamed that I was hard. So yeah, by the time, right. and if you listen to that now, I want everybody to listen to the intro to the first Black Sheep album. Listen to it now. It's funny, but it sounds like music that has been recorded since then. It's crazy. Yeah, people could see like, what was coming. Wait, this, because... Right. And you're, yeah, people, I mean, you're right. Like Drez, I think, could see what was coming because, you know, right. this is a point where the industry is changing, right? Yeah. And so the business of hip hop is starting to change where now there are more corporate interests and concerns and people want to move product. Yeah. Yeah. When people want to move products. Sometimes the corporate interests are able to respond to demands in the marketplace, but there are other times when those corporate interests create demands in the marketplace they manipulate the marketplace they tell people what's dope and people like drez were were anticipating what was happening they could see it behind the scenes because as signed artists they had a very different vantage point on the business of hip-hop than we did as consumers of the music and so they knew what was happening that's true and actually speaking speaking of let's see told you you want it we got it i thought i had it maybe i don't got it i got it you want it i got it i think Trip i think your son has to go Yo, here we go what the fuck you looking at yo get out my motherfucking face yo man trip this i was down on ass man this nigga looked at me wrong so i pulled up my motherfucking nine and i smoked his ass woke up didn't choke up so my ak it was broke up Got my nine and my Rambo knife off the floor Went to the bathroom and beat the rush Yo, who the fuck used my toothbrush? Went to my sister's room, yo, bitch, wake up You stupid ass, dirty ass, nasty ass slut Got in the leg, got in the thigh Kicked in the pussy and punched in the eye Slapped in the head, stepped on the corn Don't fuck with my bitch, word is born Went downstairs, eat with my folks Ma, you broke my fucking egg, yo Punch in the chest, got on the cheek Then I did a sweep, knocked the bitch off her feet Knee to the pussy, kick to the skull AK yours, shot the bitch in the temple Pop got mad cause mom got licked I didn't give a fuck so I shot him in the dick Hungry as fuck, sent my grace Pop kept screaming so I shot him in the face Ate my food, found my coat Mailman came so I cut his motherfucking throat Waiting for the motherfucking school bus oh. Yo, 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 dress, yo, dress Yo, I had a motherfucking dream, man. What the fuck was the dream about, Z? I dreamed that I was hard. Hard. 
Sadly, that could have been a real song back then, or exactly. right now. Yeah, that could have been a real song. Maybe like not now, because it was a little too lyrical, but back then it could have been a real song. Dude, the brother was clairvoyant, man. <laughs> it was prophetic. It was and, crazy. If you heard the joint he did with DJ Premier that was all like Ambrosia for Heads, mm-hmm. Dredd still got it, man. Yeah, he still got it. Like his lyrics, his flow, have, you know, they've aged well, man. Yeah. But you know, it's it's interesting because when you look at the songs that are coming up, that mm-hmm. spoof is exactly where the genre went. Exactly, it is. So after Positive K, then we got into Diggable Planets, uh, Rebirth of Slick, cool like that, which. Uh, held the top spot for only three weeks, but that song had some strong legs because it was seemed like it was everywhere and inescapable for at least a year. Yeah, at least. But again, me, I get crew kids seven in a crescent. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They had again, but we're still seeing. Even though we're getting into that sort of that gangster thug thing is sort of creeping in and growing metastasizing is you know depending on your perspective (laughs) you still have creative groups like diggable planets positive k i mean there's still a bit of diversity but we're we're seeing where things are going so three weeks after after diggable planets held things down for three weeks then we get snow informer and I don't know what exactly he was because I never listened to any other Snow songs. Um, It had kind of a faux reggae vibe. He was white. I think he was from Canada. I don't know what. Yeah. He was a a faux reggae artist from Canada. A faux dancehall artist, I should say, from Canada. Uh. Um, And I don't know how he... Well, I do know how he stuck around for two weeks at the top of the charts. It was because he had a video, and it was a white guy in the video doing this, I can't say hip-hop sounding song. He was dressed very hip-hop, and mm-hmm. by this time, Yom TV Raps was running the country. So yeah. you have the influence of Yom TV Raps, white guy, MTV is planted on Yom TV Raps, they planted on The Grind, and all these other all these other shows they had on mtv so he traveled this song traveled quickly yeah i guess it was a popular track on on the box back in the day yeah exactly (laughs) yeah the box wow here's a little snippet for those who uh may have forgotten (laughs) this is snow a little bit of informer Rain it up or through through my window So they put me in the back of the car at the station From that point I'm a reach my destination Where the destination is in at the east detention Where the blue down my pants, look up my bottom So in farmer, you know, say that I'm a snowman, I go glam I like it, boom, boom, down Oh my god, this song is so bad And looking at the video, I can see why the video stayed on But I'm just saying after Snow in his two-week run, then we start to get into, and that was the problem. Uh, 
Dr. Dre, <laughs> nothing but a G thing. Three weeks. Dr. Dre, the chronic, nothing but a G thing. Huh. I'm imp- I'm impressed that this song was only number one for three weeks. I gotta look. This is that's it. Cause this song seemed like it lasted forever. It like did. this song, well, yeah, this song was played everywhere like that entire summer. And this is one of those where you're trying to reconcile the sociological significance of the track and of the artist and what it meant for hip hop in general, West Coast hip hop in particular, with everything that these dudes became, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we could just as easily be talking about beatings by Dre instead of beats by Dre. Like where this dude was straight savage when it came to how you treat women. Right. And it was more than just words and a song. He was brutal to women that he was supposed to apparently have loved. Yeah. And so you think about Michelet, you think about D Barnes, you think about a whole host of others, and you're in this weird space where it's like, you cannot deny his place in hip hop and hip hop history in the business of hip hop. But as a human being, man, there are multiple and repeated failures as a human being to be a decent person. Yeah. And at this at this point, um, for Dr. Dre, this is when he's first really linking up with Suge Knight. And I think that he was the bad guy until he got with a true bad guy. And this is one of the things that I saw in watching Straight Outta Compton. And I thought that they should have they should have maybe put a little more highlight on the spotlight on the fact that that once Dre got around really violent people, it kind of made him look in the mirror like maybe I shouldn't be doing some of this shit. Because uh-huh. this, that's that point when he's going in the studio when people are fighting and he's fighting people at the studio and you know he's around all this violence. And after yeah. a while, it becomes a point where yeah, you know maybe that was the point when he saw himself and saw yo, I'm being an animal like these animals. And when you see an animal, you're like, oh, I'm not going to be this guy anymore. And so that after this point of being around Suge and all of a sudden you didn't hear well maybe he had enough money to keep it quiet but you didn't hear about all of this Michelet slapping and Dee Barnes beating up you didn't hear about this stuff anymore because he was watching Suge you know beat up and piss on people in the studios and shit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's yeah that straight out of Compton I did there was a episode of the podcast last year after that came out talking about because there was a clip uh I found from MTV News where they're on there talking about D Barnes. She got what she deserved and she might get it again. Like just very brazen and just like, yeah, we, he, Dre beat her and like, wow. Yeah. Um, But that was the thing, right? Like this is not something that we can pin solely on hip hop. Violence against women is a reflection of the society. Yeah. It's an issue yeah. around the world, but it's especially an issue in this society because we're supposed to be advanced, industrialized, forward thinking. And I tell my students all the time, if you want to get a sense of how evolved the society truly is, examine two things. What do they teach children? How do they treat women? Indeed. And it's dumbfounding that they could talk like that. And that got out there. And it didn't get out there to crush them. 
it lent them legitimacy as being hardcore. Yeah. Like that was something that was supposed to be the signifier of their real gangster credentials. And yeah. people ate it up. You know, and it's it was crazy then. It's even crazier now looking back on it 20 years later. I mean, and with hip hop especially and I know this is the conflict that especially a lot of uh you know, women that I know and grew up with have is that trying to separate and maybe you shouldn't separate the art from the artist from the larger sort of context because big pun uh beat his wife like crazy i have a i found a video um a few years back of him just like beating the hell out of her the only way she was able to escape is she ran upstairs and he was too fat and uh he wasn't in any position to go up the he couldn't fit up the stairs to go get her or anything this woman did basically everything for him because he was too morbidly obese to do most things for himself and i mean he just watching the video it's it's almost like the ray rice thing just watching the video and seeing him Uh do this it's like when his songs come on like i can't not see that video in my mind and it's um i mean it's pretty disgusting yeah you cringe yeah and so on one hand it's from a strictly hip-hop perspective his first album and many of the songs are outstanding pieces of Uh hip-hop big pun christopher rios the person was a piece of shit and Uh you know that's kind of how i look at it um but you know as, as we get older more responsible more thoughtful and introspective about our you know lives opinions things like that what we're representing you know it's hip-hop hip-hop presents some challenges man it's not always easy to <laughs> to rep for hip-hop or stand up no. for hip-hop you know it's, and it's so after dr dre uh nothing but a g thing that was three weeks then we jump back to the East Coast. Onyx, throw your guns in the air and buck, buck like you just don't care. Yeah, and, see, now, we had a good discussion about this on the the episode that disappeared into the ether. Right. And you talk about the aesthetics that were associated with the group, right? Everyone has a ball head. They're wearing all black. They're in like the high-tech military-style boots. And there's an interlude on this album where it's just Fredro screaming, I'll murder you. You know, it was this one, and it wasn't a joke, right? You know, you think about CB4 and Chris Rock and dude, like, I'm black, y'all. Nah, this is Fredro just screaming, I'll murder you. I'll murder you. That was an interlude on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Well, titled Back to F Up. Yeah, violence definitely was had started to get to its zenith right around this, this uh, well, not only this single but also this song and this album, and this is where you really saw like we spoke about Black Sheep and their intro. We really started getting like the the violent hip hop. Everybody really started going as far as they could with the violence on in hip hop. 
and you know and it's crazy man i remember they played this at like the first party i ever attended at the queues and people started going nuts and slam dancing and wilding out right and i'm thinking to myself yo these are dudes with like 1400 sat scores wilding out the onyx on an elite private school campus like they're straight out the hood and i think that was part of the appeal right that you get this segment of the hip-hop consuming community that is rather voyeuristic right they want to get a taste of what they think it's like in the hood and there are a whole lot of people that were willing to package and sell that to them at great profit yeah and it wasn't real it wasn't real i mean and onyx was so not real to the point of you could tell like first of all as you mentioned Everybody in the group had the bald heads, had the black fatigues, had the boots. Even their their logo. Uh, do you remember when they had the Mad Face, the I Mad Face New York stickers? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, I still have one of those. Really? Nice. I think I still have one of those. I need wow. to find it. I think I still have nice. one of those. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and this is that's going to end up in the Smithsonian or the Library of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> this is. This is the uh, the skit that uh, Dolphus was just talking about. Yo, so I, I want to say Fredro went into the booth like 50 grand. I get this on one take. <laughs> I'll say this: that, that 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 beat was hot. Yeah, it was I a mean, wasted that beat. beat. Was hot. I ain't good. It was that a wasted beat, beat, but you know, 50 grand. I get this on one take, Fredro. <laughs> I'm of you. So Onyx, throw your guns in the air. And when you say it was manufactured, because even their lyrics to me, it seems like they were like. Somebody said, hey, let's, you know, why don't we uh, just the craziest thing. Throw your guns in the air and buck, buck like you just don't care. And I'll murder a choir and I'll cut your head off and just. I hate your guts and I hope that you die. Yeah. So I'd like to think maybe it was a tongue in cheek kind of thing. But, you know, that nuance was lost on the audience. Perhaps. Well, what's nuts is that their next album actually had elements of political and social consciousness. Was that after the one dude went to jail or something happened? Somebody died, right? In Onyx? And that I can't recall. No, well, uh, they had uh, one of their friends had passed away. And then I think one of the guys had left the group. But yeah. they, um, and I will say this to all the listeners, I like Throw Your Guns. I bought this album. I think I liked most of this album. Yeah. For back then. Because the album and the song is well produced. It was Jam Master J. Mm-hmm. Shot Skills. And those guys can produce, they can produce a record. And so, it had a unique you know, sound. A very unique right. sound. Yeah. It was hard, man. It was a so banger. That's why that's why this song was number one for two weeks. Yeah. That, so that that's was violent it was. That was that was uh number one couple of weeks then we got red man time for some action and one of the most creative mcs to ever grip a microphone man yeah like the wordplay the storytelling 
Red Man is one of the sickest to ever, ever, ever do this for a profession. And I don't think he gets the props that he deserves. You know, your man was off the wall, Red Man versus Reggie Noble. Right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. He's an you, MC's MC. You yeah. strangled a man by the name of a Mr. Ran Ella at a rap concert. <laughs> concert, concert. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and don't forget the beginning of the Superman Lover Saga. Oh, my goodness. Dude. I was just listening to some Superman Lover the other, the other what was it, like two weeks ago. What it's, day is this? Saturday, December 8th. Yeah, it's my day off. Exactly. Every time I hear especially around Christmas time, the uh, Run DMC, the Christmas and Hollis, which sampled the, uh, what's my man? Superman lover, the Clarence Carter, Superman lover, which. Nah, 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 that was Johnny Guitar Watson. Johnny Guitar right? Watson. Oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I forgot which dirty black blues man <laughs> produced which you song. Which one? You got to get it right. <laughs> my bad. Stronger than a locomotive. You got to get it right. I'm thinking of Backdoor Santa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, now you're looking at, like, Clarence Carter. That's the song. Backdoor Santa is the one that, uh, that um, Run DMC sampled for uh, Christmas and Hollis, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, I don't know how I even got off into that, but... <laughs> After Red Man, <laughs> time for some action. Uh, Ice Cube is back with It Was a Good Day, which was a total, complete departure from anything he'd uh, created previously. And this is another one that I'm surprised it was only on the top of the charts for a week because it seemed yeah. like that was another one that was played all the time. Yeah, I remember there was some dudes who were really trying to track down what day of the year that took place. Yeah. Like they were scouring the NBA schedule for when the Lakers played the Sonics, wow. trying to figure out when the blunt was coming through. Like they really tried to <laughs> nail it down. Like what day was actually the good day? <laughs> right. And then they, they saw, I think they did they get it down to like two days and Ice Cube was like, nah, it was just made up. <laughs> like right. all, all your research was, it was such a letdown. Right. Wow. It was such a letdown, man. I'm like, yo, you got to let it live. Right. Because it has a life it of its own, man. Well, the uh, one of the Goodyear blimps is based out here in uh, Carson, a.k.a. C. Arson, California, which is a little... C. Arson. Uh, it's north of Long Beach, southwest of Compton. Shout out to Raz Kaz. And <laughs> the blimp... Multiple will, foes and three one O's. <laughs> when it takes off... And to head to downtown to cover, at this point, Clippers games or Dodger games or USC, it'll fly over my house or the park. My son and I will be out playing basketball. And I always think of that song. Even saw the lights <laughs> of the Goodyear blimp. <laughs> All right. So after it was a good day, then Run DMC back. Looking, you know, in my opinion, <laughs> bizarre. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we back. had a spirited conversation about this record. Yeah, they came back with "Down with the Kings," which was sort of, I guess, like their return song. Yeah. And in order to prove their relevance, uh, they came back 
in that onyx mode. like they were hard like stomping out yeah. th- just hard like wow this who who are you <laughs> why are the why are you why is run dressed in this fashion but yeah they were in the all black and you know it was a black and white video but the thing is it's like to me the video and the visuals of the video didn't match the theme and the lyrics of the song right right here you have one of the most important duos in hip-hop history right groundbreaking hip-hop act mm-hmm. and they're trying to reestablish themselves because hip-hop is one of these things man hip-hop does not treat its veterans well no hip-hop doesn't treat its alums well if you look at the rolling stones or any other big rock group right they can still do stadium concerts you know you look at aging or maturing r&b artists or blues artists they can have a running show at a casino in las vegas that doesn't happen in hip-hop right and so you get these guys that are still trying to say you know hey um we still have skills we still have something to say and they're trying to link up with the new generation you know you got pete rock on the track you got cl smooth on the track pete rock did the track and instead of kind of staying in their lane with their own aesthetic i do concede they did venture out into doing what i guess looked hot at the time but the record's more about faith and seeing oneself kind of moving in sync with time like the lyrics really don't match the video man that's true and you pointed this out to me during the last uh, conversation because I never really liked the song um, and I think the beat the beat was used by someone else some other Pete Rock affiliate and I just never really liked the song so my memory of it was the video and I don't think I ever really paid too much attention to those lyrics but as you pointed out yeah the lyrics don't match the visuals because the video they look like onyx's granddaddies (laughs) they do (laughs) they do they do they do and i think i think part of that is what aged them it made them look older because they were doing what onyx was doing at the time and the video i mean the video had an incredible array of cameos in it like everybody was in that video from Naughty by Nature to right. Easy E, who Easy E at the time wasn't like the popular Easy E. That may have actually been one of his last music videos. Yeah, for appearances. Um, but everybody's in that video and the song. You know, he's they're talking about God in the song, and but then yeah. they're dressed up like thugs, and it was like, oh, they're dressed up like Onyx, really. Onyx's granddaddy, yeah. and it was just kind of weird to see and hear this song. That the song was a good song. It's it's it was an Uncle Denzel moment, man. <laughs> you know, it was an Uncle Denzel moment. Like this dude that's just been a purveyor of cool for so long shows up and has this awkward moment and you're like, oh, you got caught slipping. Yeah. And the thing about it, man, you, you can't remain cool by doing what the kids are doing now. Like when you're pushing 60 and you're, you know, wearing skinny jeans and stuff like that and you're trying to do it on a hoverboard. <laughs> Nah, that's not going to work. That's the most interesting man in hip-hop. You know, you have to stay in your lane and let your style evolve in a natural progression, right? You can't just do what the kids are doing because they're going to look at you for what you are, an old man trying to be cool. Yeah, You shouldn't have to try to be cool, and that's what it looked like they were doing, right? 
And so, you know, the Black Clouds point, you have all of these dope artists in that moment who revere Run DMC and they just want to be in the video, like being on the Tribe album cover for Midnight Marauders. You know, they just want to be there. But then you have the group itself sort of slipping. And it was sad. Yeah. You know, it was sad. You know, shout out to them for being able to get new life in the industry through the TV shows. Yeah. You know, because it, it took that for a younger generation to really understand what Run DMC meant to hip hop. Yeah, man. Well, Amen then, right after that, after Run DMC's Uh-oh. Down with the King two week run, then we get LL Cool J, another hip hop veteran, Queen. trying to reestablish that he's still relevant. And he has a song that's number one called How I'm Coming. Now, as I mentioned the last time, I wasn't really familiar with this song, so I had to look it up. And this song comes from an album entitled 14 Shots to the Dome. So now, Ladies Love Cool James is shooting people in the head. (laughs) And in this song, part of the lyrics in the first verse, uh, I buck you in the head just to let you know Stick you for your dough, spit on the flow. So he's shooting and people in the head and robbing them. LL. You know, meanwhile, there's lyrically. no statute of limitations on murder, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was shooting you know, them in so the head. Like, is this a confession? Now, and this this is like you know, LL did "I Need Love" and it was sort of an experimentation, right? Yeah. Like the the only artist that I could think of in that moment who came out and really pursued that from the beginning of his career all the way throughout was Heavy D. Like, Heavy D was like, this is my lane, and I'm going to stay in my lane. Big Daddy Kane was the battle rapper who then tried to go the Barry White of hip-hop and lost his original audience, including a guy like me, right? Um, Then Common came out, and Common was a battle rapper, and then he tried to go that route with the crochet pants. He lost his poor <laughs> Ellen audience, and it really took that album with Kanye as the executive producer to sort of bring him back to hip hop. Uh, um, yeah. Hip hop wasn't ready <laughs> the crochet for pants, and so yeah, yo, for nice. real, Erica Badu is a life changer for a lot of dudes. You know, Andre Three Thousand, Common, like Erica Badu will have you burning incense and wearing oils and saying "hotep." Um, but Amen. that's beside the point. Hilarious. Hip hop LL was like still trying to figure that out, right? Like, so you look at where he is now as an MC and an entertainer. He went all in on Ladies Love Cool James, but at the time, he was still trying to follow that formula from Def Jam where you have your conscious record, you have your record for the ladies, you have your hardcore stuff for the fellas. He didn't go all in yet. That's true. Right. But on this, when he's talking about shooting people in the head, to me, it seems like maybe there was a big old school rapper meeting and they were like, yo, <laughs> LL, what you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do, Jay? I don't know. <laughs> maybe we should start shooting people in the head. I mean, it's funny, but it's all Def Jam. Yeah. Like these were aging Def Jam artists. And even when you look at EPMD, like, you know, we don't have any of their tracks at this time in this top, but like. EPMD went harder. Yeah. Eric Sermon's style completely changed and became more aggressive, confrontational. Yeah. You bring on Redman, you bring on Keith Murray, bring on Onyx, and then you reshuffle the, the older heads in the stable to sort of bug them up. You know, it was yeah. The contagion was spreading. And well, this is yeah, this is this is when the the violent because you know when like you said the contagion has spread 
when you have these people who are make who make great records and they've made records well ll has made better records after this uh-huh. but once he went back to himself this is the year when the influence of outside the influence of selling records the influence of we everybody's going harder affected everyone making music mm-hmm. and so they were very it's like a handful of people who stayed in their lane through 93 because once we get past 93 we'll see that everybody starts going in the same direction yeah and well yeah i mean 93 as we look here at the charts um we are only in may so after ll spent a week with how i'm coming the next song that got the top spot was typical reasons by prince marky d and soul convention prince marky d formerly of the fat boys and he went he went in on that what uh adolphus was just talking about that smooth heavy d style like i'm gonna be a smooth uh big fat playboy (laughs) right and this song you know heavy d father mc yeah yeah but this song was um it was one of those it was the woman in the in the uh story is being abused by her man and so Prince Marky D steps up like trying to convince her like you gotta leave him you're better than that and after you leave him come on over to my place uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> baby you need to swing my way hotep baby uh-huh. hotep <laughs> we can get into your inner afrocentricity as we read the autobiography of Malcolm X right the conscious light defenses the black <laughs> conscious player you don't, you don't need you don't need right. that gangster rapper Come over here with these incense and this smooth R&B. Lay down on my feather pillow. Yeah. Uh, we could watch Black Caesar. One, <laughs> one of the verses, or verse two of the song is, mistreated like a towel, and when he gets busted, he thinks that he's an owl. Your eye is puffy. Your jaw is swollen. You shouldn't be smacked. You're made to cuddle and hold, and blah, blah, blah he launches into his baby you need to swing my way so yeah see for the youngers that are listening this would be the hip-hop equivalent of sliding into her mentions getting into her <laughs> getting into her dm it goes down in the dm you 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 out here abusing your girl and posting about it on instagram and prince marky d is sliding into her dms it goes down like, in the hey DMs. is he treating you well <laughs> Right. Is he really treating you well? Prince Marky D. I gotta let me let me fire up a little bit of this. Oh, he even had the new jack swing <laughs> Teddy Riley style beat. Let me see what we got here. And you can new jack swing Relationship is withering. Don't walk away from me. Come hither and listen. Cause I speak straight up, so let it track. Sorry, baby, but your man ain't all that. Before you verbal to stop me, just wait a sec and explain why you're always looking wrecked. By now, any other lady would have just had it. Looking depressed and bad. 
Market D. I actually like the song still. Yeah, it wasn't a bad record. But <laughs> not a bad record at all. But I see through his and by uh, today's standards, it's triple platinum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> so and, and I actually I actually appreciate the fact that he's making a song where he's saying, you know, you shouldn't be getting a beat up by your man because I don't know if you've got those songs today. No. Yeah, like, like no, how crazy is this that, you know, we're looking at the charts in 93, and this is the middle of 1993, and you have an anti-domestic violence record. Right. Right. You know, and think yeah. about what we're talking <clears> about <throat> right now in our society as we look out at professional sports <laughs> leagues, we think about Ray Rice, we think about Greg Hardy, we think about, you know, some of these other prominent instances where men of power, of wealth, are just destroying women and you know in this in this country you know there's a lot of violence on game day because you got angry dudes upset that their home team didn't win and they had too many to drink and they start going nuts so you know this is 23 years ago 22 years ago and he's putting it down on an issue that only now is getting the sort of attention that it deserves and and to that point not only did he make this record but it reached number one right like even though it was just a week it reached number one and it's not like he he's not a household name you know uh so that you know again these charts i don't use billboard and record sales and things like that but these charts do give a snapshot of where things were in terms of hip-hop culture in terms of the culture in general and you know prince market d shout out even though (laughs) you were trying to kind of slide in on the (laughs) back side i can't let you i can't give you i gotta deduct a few points there but you know good job and then oh here we go yeah, yeah here we go because for the next one two three weeks we get Boss and Deeper. And Boss, similar to, well, not similar to Onyx, but in the same vein as Onyx, LL Run DMC, Akineli Nasty Nas, and the Extra P. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, Boss was a uh, suburban young sister from the Detroit area who somehow got a record deal and the powers that be decided that her character was, she was going to be a female gangster rapper, like as hard and foul and violent and evil and wicked as her male counterparts. And that's a good choice of words. Her character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it worked to some effect because she was on the top of the charts with uh, Deeper, which, you know, the song was okay, I guess, for the time. It wasn't 
anything that I rushed to go back to listen to, but she had it had a little bit of that reggae kind of sound to it, but her album in general was just a foul, <laughs> filthy shoot 'em up. And uh that was what was popular in ninety three at this time. Yeah. So and that's wanted. Yeah. And she was on Def Jam. Wow, Def Jam. <laughs> Def Jam. Wow, Def Jam. Yeah, it's not looking good, Def Jam. It's not looking you know, good I, for you, I Def Jam. This, I said this um last time, and I feel like when you look at Jay's black album and the documentary that went along with it. I feel like that was one of the points where he was his most honest. And there's a segment there where he kind of reminded me of this exchange between Langston Hughes and George Schuyler in The Nation magazine over the legitimacy of black art, black creative work during the Harlem Renaissance. And so Schuyler was rejecting the Harlem Renaissance saying the only thing black about it is the guy that did it. Yeah. Hughes was trying to defend it. And in defending yeah. it, Hughes made the point about people not being true to themselves and running toward whiteness because whiteness is associated with everything that they want to achieve, with beauty, with material success, so on and so forth. And so in the documentary, Jay is talking to the guys in the studio and he's like, you know, I only write about the things or I only rhyme about the things that I've experienced firsthand. You, you talk about killing people all the time. You know, is that how you really live your life? And the guy sort of, you know, shakes his head and sheepishly says no. And he says, well, why are you doing that then? He said, well, that's what the people want to hear. And Jay looks into the camera and he says, you see America? You see mm-hmm. what you've done to hip hop? People are afraid to be themselves. And yep. so when I look at this long list of artists, you know, these are probably some brilliant people who have creative minds. Because when people are this creative, it's not a creativity that's limited to music. They're, they're graphic artists, they're poets, playwrights, like they're doing all kinds of things. But you don't get to learn any of that because they're trying to fashion themselves to what they think is popular because, you know, face it, they're trying to get paid. And if they think this is the path to getting paid, they will they will take the form of the vessel that they're being poured into. And that's what they did. Hmm. And that's what leads us to the next the next uh, number one. Yeah, because after Boss held it down for three weeks, then. We get illegal with we get busy. So for those, all those who don't remember or are unfamiliar, let me break it down. So first, <laughs> we had Run DMC's old asses coming back trying to be hardcore. Then we had LL Cool J, you know, putting his shirt on and putting on some fatigue so he could shoot you in the head and take your dough. Then we had Boss, some woman from a middle-class Detroit background. She's tying rags around her head, and she'll blast you right in your nuts. Now we get Illegal, which is a couple of little kids that Eric Sermon <laughs> took under his wing, and they will shoot you in a heartbeat. If, if LL's 14 shots to the dome didn't get you, Illegal <laughs> pop you in your kneecaps and kick you in your ass. I don't know. Take your lunch money. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Eric Sermon had two little kids. I believe it was Jamal and Mr. Malik. And they're cursing their asses off. They're threatening people. They're it's outrageous. And it's just what we've been hearing. So I'm going to I'm going to play a little bit of this. 90s trash (laughs) 
And uh, oh, you know, Lord. let's see what but the these... track is hot. The track oh, is yeah, hot. that's true. That's true. Let's see what these <laughs> jackasses are saying. All right, let's see. Uh, we get we get busy, y'all. Check it out. Coming right back at you with another slamming hit. Illegal in the motherfucking house. With every sermon taking over in the night. You know what I'm saying? He doubled on the solo shit. Is this how we gonna do it? We getting busy on this track. Hey, yeah, check it. We do it like this. Malik obeyed the lawnmower and Chris obeyed the grass. That's his ADMCs, cause why? APC whip. Illegal cuts that ass. The way that I approach you and think I was a kid, G. That's why I took the time out to say that I get busy. Like Dizzy, the let's be. So suck the stretch your eyes, but you still couldn't see me. That's skip what they do. Da, dee 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 da dee dee. I don't need no permission. I still come out and play to Uncle Sam. I say, screw Say my number's not enough, but to get wrecked up the army. All I have to be is rough and tough. It don't need to lie about my age. To get far with my tongue, it go on. Basically, they're taking on Crisscross, which, again, at the time, Crisscross was playful. They were a couple of kids, and they sang about kid things. ABC, same thing, singing about kid things. Well, man, Illegal, Illegal was singing about grown-up things. And those are the kind of kids that, you know, you clutch your purse and cross to the other side of the street when you see coming. And, now, uh, random observation listening to that track. Yeah. Slick Rick got to be the most sampled voice in hip hop. Because there was a probably. Slick Rick voice sample for the hook. So yeah. Slick Rick might have might be the most sampled voice in all of hip hop. I hope he got his uh, publishing and all that straight. So, yeah, oh boy. Man, listen. So we get illegal. You know, now the little kids are hard. Everybody's hard. And if you tell me they were on Def Jam, then, you know, there might have to be a whole separate episode you and investigation. What? You know what? So we're going to come back for they Uncle were, Russ. For I don't Rush know if they car. were and for others. They were close to Def Jam, though. I don't think we're old. I got to check. Because they were Eric Sermon's group. I mean, or we know Arista. Oh, they were Arista. Arista. They was on Arista. Oh, okay. okay. Rowdy. Oh, you, uh, Rowdy Arista. Okay. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that so, was close. after we get through <clears throat> with Illegal's two week hold on the charts, then we get to Pete Rock and CL Smooth with Lots of Lovin', which it's funny. The charts seem to go from this hardcore. I'll uh-huh. shoot you in your head to baby swing my way to I get busy on the track and I'll murder crisscross to lots of loving. So I have a theory about that. <laughs> I think I think what you're seeing in the rather hard shifts between songs is a reflection of the audience. 
Yeah. Hip hop is not something that's just being consumed by white people or by young black men. Black girls and black women are consuming hip hop too. Yeah. And I think part of what's happening is that some of these records that seem to be outliers mm-hmm. are rising to the top in part because of a loyal listenership with black girls and black women. And so when you look at this record, Lots of Love, and you look at the next record, Passing Me By with Far Side, yeah, yeah um, those are records that sisters can groove to as well. And and they're, they're the ones that are calling up the, sh- the, the stations asking for people to play it. I can, I mean, I definitely can see that. And one of the other things is that these songs are not, uh, they're not really gimmick songs. These are solid, uh-huh. good quality songs. So uh-huh. at the time, we still were kind of seemed to be, for the most part, in an era where regardless of your topic, if you made a quality song in terms of the music and the lyrics came together the right way, you could, you know, I, I don't want to say it's merit-based because I'm sure there was a whole lot of politics in play, but it seemed that someone as obscure as a Prince Marky D could get the number one spot with the right song, and lots of loving Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Pete Rock and CL Smooth was on stage drinking Cisco. Uh, <laughs> that was you a dope album. Mecca and the Soul Brother. Ooh-wee. I still had that in heavy rotation. Oh yeah, that was a dope, dope album. And the cassette was long too. It seemed like it was like it was long, two hundred minutes. It would, you, there was no rewinding. So uh-huh. on the Walkman, I just let it play, but it was a it long over. tape. Don't let your you don't let your batteries be weak, and you be you like midway through. Worth. You got your money's worth on that one. Oh, yeah. That was a good find. So then, as you mentioned, the far side passing me by, which considering what was happening on the West Coast, talking about outliers, like the far side kind of came out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere. Came up through that whole good life, Lamert Park, that whole West. There was a there was an underground yeah. scene in L.A. And somehow... Uh, the far side bubbled out of it and passing me by excellent dude one of the things i love about this track is the obscure but not so obscure Jimi hendrix sample at the very top of if you listen to the very top of uh passing me by Uh uh-huh that's Jimi hendrix are you experienced really they Dude. couldn't have cleared that. They couldn't have cleared that. People That's weren't crazy. doing that back then. Because I'm just wondering about it, now. If you have it, play the beginning of that track. And, okay. you know, next time you have a moment, listen to Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced, and tell me if I'm wrong. Wow. Yeah, they couldn't have cleared that. If I wonder if that. Go ahead. There's a lot of classic. There, there are, there's a lot of classic rap songs now that because the clearances aren't right, you can't purchase them. And I'm wondering, I yeah. think you can purchase this song. So they must have lost all their publishing to Jimmy. Because Jimmy Hendrix's estate, they Doesn't. are brutal. They yeah, don't they don't, play, they don't play games. It's like them and Marvin Gaye. Uh-huh. Those estates don't play games. Like you lose well, that's everything. My theory. 
your theory, theory your theory is correct um i'm gonna see if i can let me see if i can do this so let's see so here is the jimmy Hendrix. let's see if this will even play <laughs> they won't even let me play they want me to get like a a spotify whatever but I'm, they I'm, want you to play that. Listen, you got to pay us to hear Jimmy. I'm totally unfamiliar with Jimi Hendrix other than the crazy national anthem at uh, Woodstock. So I'm going to take your word for it. And I see here that, yeah, the first, it says the first 27 seconds of Passing Me By, the Jimi Hendrix is in there. So let's see. <laughs> Ten seconds. Seventeen seconds coming up. Now in my younger days I used to score the shag. When I went to school, I carried lunch in the bag. Was forever for my teacher, cause I knew I get a kiss. Always got mad when the class was dismissed. But when it was a session, I hope Which which part's the Jimi Hendrix part? Because I don't, I don't know the at the very top with the choo 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 Because if you listen to Are You Experienced, that's how it starts at the beginning of that track. Huh. And so they take it and then they loop it, and you have it kind of running in the background, and they layer a bunch of things on top of it. But to me, when I heard that Jimi Hendrix track, I'm like, yo, I think that's where Far Side got that little sound. Nice. Let me see. Never knew that. Let me see if I can pull this up on Vimeo. Or am I gonna have to buy something? Let's see. All right, that's enough of that shit. Yes, Professor Belk with the good ear. Nice. Yeah, so so you knew it was good. It, it, you can't touch a Jimi Hendrix record like that and not make a dope track. Yeah. And then the story itself, man, like, you know, because every, like, like, the way the youngins would talk about it now, you know, you get curved, right? We were talking about Positive K earlier. He got curved. Yep. He, he shot his shot. He got rejected. But, you know, since we're talking like, you know, Ken Griffey and Mike Piazza in the Hall of Fame, if you're a dude and you, you hit 30%, you can go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like in baseball, you fail 70% of the time, those are Hall of Fame numbers. Right. And being a dude and, you know, you got to take your shot. You got to take your swings. But you're going to get rejected. To be a man is to be rejected. And so, you know, Positive K makes a record about getting curved. <laughs> the far side makes a record about being persistent but still getting curved and you know every guy every every person has to deal with that right that's universal to the male experience yeah. and and they tried hard they got creative you know i mean right. and so that was the humor of it all man because it's like yeah i've been there done that doing it again next week yep 
She was married to the man. He was a thug. His name was Lee. He drove a Z. He'd pick her up from school promptly at 3 o'clock. Man. Old school. <laughs> yeah. So the far side. Yeah, but was... hard into it. <laughs> right. They're right there. Fat Lip, had you... Fat Lip had you feeling his angst. The letter came back <laughs> three days later. Return to sender. Damn. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> and you up there like, oh, no. Dude, they had you feeling their eggs. He keeps on passing. Yeah. Way before Drake. <laughs> right. And I'm it wasn't all soft, hand. right? Drake is kind of like the emo rapper. Yeah, this, again, this was that, this was relatable without being right. corny. Just like, yeah, yeah, I would, my, uh, was a third grade teacher? I would raise my hand and make a stagger to my desk and you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, it's about the question. Get... It was never much. So now, see, we gotta enjoy these good bobs now because I'm looking down the list and it's about to get lit. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, getting we're, we're sliding <laughs> it's down a hole. We're sliding down a hole. So after passing me by, then Onyx comes back with I mean, just this is this would have to fall into the anthem category because you can still play this anywhere this well, is arena especially music. at a black uh black a basketball game <laughs> yeah this is arena music slam i mean i've seen it on commercials as recently as about a, a year or two ago a power aid commercial yeah. or something but whatever you I need i hope they're still eating off the track well that's a whole other thing yeah and, Russell, I, and I said this Russell's probably I said this eating off of it yeah, Russell's probably lost it. I, I'll say that I said this on the on the the lost tapes, but this slam record is a record that I can play for my six year old because there's not one curse in this record. Wow, that was the, the part to me that's unbelievable. The regular version, the, no curse. The re- the regular version of this song has not one curse in it. Wow. Now, I, don't, I don't even know if it has a damn in it. Wow. And it's, that's they're impressive. Talking about, they, they, they're talking about some crazy stuff, but it's where the point where your kid can listen to it, and it just sounds like they're having a bunch of fun. Mm-hmm. Isn't he talking? Which about- is why it's arena music. Yeah, not one, not one curse in the song. Huh? I'm playing Russian roulette with an automatic. Huh? Maybe. I- so, okay. so, 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 so. Oh yeah! Wow. Well, that song, I'm not going to play it because I'm sure anybody who's listening to this podcast is, and especially <laughs> this far into this podcast, is well aware of that song. And if you're not, Jesus, come on, where you if, been? If, if you're an hour and change into this podcast, you, you may yeah. have heard this song. <laughs> you, you better know Slam. If you don't know Slam, <laughs> go get your cre- hip-hop credentials in line. Come back, see me later. So after that... Or, you know, go to an NBA game. <laughs> oh, no, go to an NBA So... After that, we get into Yo-Yo, another phony, baloney oh my rapper. Uh, yo, did a yo, song with yo, Ice Cube, yo. the Bonnie and Clyde theme, of which Ice Cube clearly, clearly wrote her part and his part. The song was cool, but it was the launching point for Yo-Yo and the... Uh, IBWC, the Intelligent Black Women's Coalition, and 
the gimmick there is that, which we'll kind of get into, is that you got to remember we're coming off the riots, especially in L.A. There's a whole uh, rebuild L.A. campaign. And now uh, rap and some of the violent messages, especially what Ice Cube had to say on Death Certificate, a lot of what he was saying and being criticized for has been validated by 1993 in terms of what played out in the streets. So now people are beginning to sort of, I don't want to say elevate the opinions of people like Ice Cube, Ice-T, but they're beginning to take them a little more seriously. And as that light got shined on Ice Cube, uh, it wasn't enough to just be out in the streets killing people. And so he put out a group the lynch mob which was still very violent but had a sort of almost a black nationalist bent Uh and then there was yo-yo who was going to be like the the one standing up for the sisters and positive sisters in the hood and as a result this is what we get yo-yo writing the bonnie and clyde theme uh with ice cube which predates jay-z and beyonce by several years and IBWing with my crewin, which was sort of the yo-yo uh, portion of the song, and that grabbed the top spot for a week. Um, of the three of us, I'm assuming I'm the only one who has the yo-yo album. You Man. have the album, the cassette. I had, I had the tape. Wow. I had the tape. Yeah. Wow. Two of you. Oh. Yeah, I had the so tape. So now I'm the outlier. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't buying. Well, that it trash. wasn't a tape that I bought. Like it was something I found in the street that would still play. <laughs> Yo, so it was clearly something that three feet high. Or lost. <laughs> put it, put it where it belongs, like, Doodle Wart, in the garbage. It's, it's, it's still good. It's still good. You found it in the street. You found it in Brooklyn. Somebody was getting chased down yeah. the street, and they fell out their book bag. It was like, why are you yeah, listening to this that's trash? That's what happened. So, you know. <laughs> It made its way into my, it made its way into my yellow and uh yellow and black Magnavox boombox. Wow. You know what you, you know what you also could have found in the street somewhere. You could have found the um Divine so. Style album. Divine Styler. Divine Styler. That his album. Wow. Could, that was from me because I threw it in the street when I was listening to. It. I like took it out my Walkman and threw it in the street and was like, yeah, nah, and it's left it there. Yeah. <laughs> Did did somebody call you Arsenio? Ooh, he called you Arsenio. Arsenio. <laughs> wow. Put it where it belongs, ain't a word. Garbage. <laughs> Garbage. Wow. No, no, no. Wow. I, I kind of liked it, man. That. <laughs> oh, wow. The Bonnie and Clyde theme got me a down-ass woman on my team. The Bonnie and Clyde theme. So, yeah. <sighs> wow. Then, after that, three weeks, another song that, ugh, just seemed to never go away. Insane in the Brain, (laughs) Cypress Hill. Oh, man. Not as good as How I Could Just Kill a Man. No, no way. Which which had a banging Otis Redding sample. (laughs) Damn, you're like sample king yeah 
I appreciate yeah. good music, man. And I you actually might have that record. Wow. The most prominent use of that track was by Salt and Pepper. It was a it was a record called Tramp. Yep. And so when Salt and Pepper did their thing, it was much more clear, clearly related to the original record, right? Yeah. But when Cypress Hill got a hold of it, it was they used it to make the baseline for how I could just kill a man. So when you hear that doom, 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 doom. Yeah, that was Curtis. I mean, that was um Otis, Otis Red and Tramp. Wow. Well, you know what else? <laughs> Coincidentally, they also used in How I Could Just Kill a Man, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, they were digging through uh, they were digging through the crates, man. So and much for their publishing. They they used Tramp. Yeah. Um Wow. But inside the in, insane in the brain wasn't it wasn't as good a record. Like nope. you know, it was sticky. It had a hook that was catchy, but in terms of its appeal to me as a listener, I wasn't feeling that as much as I was feeling the previous record. No. See, that previous could, record was just hard. Yeah. yeah. That was the one where everybody was like, oh, are they fr- They got to be from New York. Yeah. Dude, no. we, yeah. I'm, I'm from a section in Brooklyn called East New York, and there's uh-huh. a housing project in East New York called the Cypress Hills Housing Project. Yep. And I spent like 360 of 365 days there every year uh-huh. because I had an aunt that lived there. My mother worked there and we were looking around at each other like, yo, do y'all know these dudes? I've never seen them before. Like we really thought they were not just from New York, not just from Brooklyn, but we thought they were from our hood. Wow. Yeah, I, I thought and they were come from to Brooklyn find out, too. They're from California. Yep. I thought they were from Brooklyn, too. Well, that's uh, yeah. So, like, people in New York, yeah, people in New York thought they were from East New York. Well, it's it's interesting because the the gimmick phenomenon wasn't just limited to people who wanted to be hard. Cypress Hill, like, they found their niche and really haven't let it go among the stoner crowd. Yeah, and yeah, this was sort of. This the popularity of this song, I think, from this point on, changed them to where, you know, then we get Dr. Green Thumb and just a bevy of weed. Hits from the bong. Hits from the bong. Yeah. Just total uh complete weed anthems. Except when they took a pause to have their beef with Ice Cube. Uh, uh but dude. You remember we went to um the Smoking Grooves concert? In upstate New York in 96? Uh, Jimmy? Me? Smoking grooves? Yeah. Smoking. This was... we, Dude, I, I could have sworn you went to that show with us. Uh, Nah. Only, only show I went to... I went to the first show of the Chronic Tour in Buffalo. In... Man. That was like 92, 93. And... It was uh, significant because after that, Dre or somebody got put on house arrest, and so they had to cancel the rest of it. Yeah, but, this show, this is like one of the greatest tours. It's universally acknowledged as one of the greatest hip-hop tours ever, right? So you had Tribe Called Quest, the Fuji, Cypress Hill. You know, you had major, major acts that were on this tour. 
And so we're out there at the fairgrounds and it had rained all week. So we didn't go out into the infield. We went up into the bleachers and had a great vantage point because we could just see everything without having our fresh kicks get all muddy, right? Because, you know, the sneaker game is strong. <laughs> when Cypress Hill took the stage, the smell of marijuana was overpowering. And we're not in a stadium. We're in an outdoor fairground. And it was Damn. still overpowering. And we were several hundred yards away from the stage, but it was still overwhelming. So yeah, wow. the Stoner crowd came out in force and they all lit up when Cypress Hill got on stage. They used to have uh, an event out here called the Cypress Hill Smokeout. <laughs> and oh my. people would come in with like... like Brisket? Industrial <laughs> gas masks converted into bongs like the cops are just like you know fuck dang <laughs> they had some of the greatest flyers but i guess because whoever designed the flyers was so high he just you know he or she let their well, creative see, this juices is where, loose. this is where if you're an enterprising business person and you have a food truck you just follow cypress hill tours <laughs> right <laughs> and post up with your food truck yeah so then, start selling them donkey meats. After Cypress Hill, Insane in the Brain held it down for three weeks. Here we go again. Uh, yeah, this hurt my heart. We're, we're so, in the abyss now. Now Here we go. we're in the hurt abyss. My heart. We had old men, other legends. We had kids. We had young women turning into crooks and hoods and thieves. And then here comes MC Light. Again, one of our legendary MCs, and she comes out with rough. Got a who? Got to have what? what? <laughs> with just F some sleep, of the eat shit, F sleep, eat shit. With with just the foul, filthy lyrics that you never, ever would have expected to hear from MC Light. I mean, and she's wearing the skull cap and the big jeans and the boots and. You know, she she went to the same people who outfitted Run DMC and yeah, you know all the other people we were talking about who turned to the dark side. And it's it's very, it's it's sad and it looks contrived. Um, as it's so far away from Cha 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 and kick this one here for me and my DJ and poor Georgie and it's yeah. it's completely <clears throat> out of left field. As I mentioned, as Stone Cold Steve Austin would say, she came right from 316 Gimmick Street. <laughs> oh my goodness. She went, she got and it's her. it's sad, man, because like, when you look at her body of work, yeah. this song is the outlier. But yeah. this song, if you look at the stuff she this, did after this, like, it was the outlier, but it's in that moment in time. But this song will also, also stay as a weird classic because you can play yeah. this song at a hip hop party and people will groove to this song. People will like, oh, yeah. you'll get in a reaction. But this song, that's because she's song still was whack. Eat for her. It was whack. But dude, for but her. that's the thing, right? Like, even though, even though we would look at it like, yeah, she shouldn't have done that, she's still MC Light. She's still right. a dope MC. Right. Exactly. So it wasn't like all of a sudden she's out of her lane. And because she's out of what we're expecting of her, it's weak. No, even her whack record is dope. Exactly. Because she's still MC Light. Exactly. Which is why I had to say it's whack for her. 
because right if this song came out today you'd be like oh this is a good song but for her for you know the hot damn hot damn ho here we go again this song is whack compared to that dude when I, when she I was put together done. one of the greatest breakup anthems in hip-hop history crazy crazy with paper thin hell yeah and so that lyrical ferocity is still there you know it's just not applied to antoinette it's not applied to you know to sam sam it's some dude it's like the, the mc light that wrote paper thin the mc light that ethered antoinette wouldn't deal with the dude who did all the things she described in roughneck when i was done with the song was when she said something of like Hands in his pants, fiddling with his dick hairs. Like, huh? <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Check, please. I mean, it sounded like, you know, she was talking about Al Bundy, right? <laughs> Hands in his pants, fiddling with his dick hair. Get the fuck out of here with that shit, MC Light. I don't care how much I love you. I'm sorry. That's some bullshit. <laughs> please. Hands it in like she was talking about Al Bundy. Right? I know he scored four touchdowns in one game. Jeez. But the song did highlight that she still had a problem uh, with regard to her choice of men. Because poor Georgia, he was a crackhead. Sam, he was a crackhead. You know. Georgia was also a drunk, right? Didn't didn't he die? Yeah, Georgia was was an alcoholic. Yeah, Yeah. so crackhead, alcoholic, uh, fiddling with his dick hairs. Yes. Yeah, but I think this is that point, man. Like when we talk about trying to find out when hip hop went off the rails, mm-hmm. 1993 is a year where you see a lot of recalibration. You find new artists emerging who are trying to step into the thug aesthetic. And then you have established artists that are trying to stay in the game or get back in the game who are then adjusting their style to incorporate elements of the thug aesthetic. Right. It's a weird period, man, where the music is changing. And given the volatility in the charts, I can't say it was all audience driven. Because, you know, you look at some of these smooth records or the creative records, they're making number one for a week or two or three. So it's not being dominated completely by, you know, hard hip hop. That's true, well, but it's there. I, well, I think I think the sales were being dominated. I think the sales. So even if you didn't have the number one single, I think those albums that people were selling, the people were the you know, people, the videos people were watching was this hard hip hop. And so since mm-hmm. people were selling, this is where people started going. Everybody was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I'm gonna sell some records, I'm gonna have to say a couple niggas. I'm gonna have to shoot five people in the head. You know, step mm-hmm. on somebody's like grandma." on the course of this Mm -hmm. album in order for people to buy my album and Mm -hmm. after we get Roughneck MC Light then Ice Cube featuring Das Effects check yourself so you see like Ice Cube keeps making appearances but each one of the appearances he's made on the charts although all the songs are from the same album they're all very different so now he's got the Das Effects he had the uh, Cypress Hill sound. He had the one with Yo-Yo. He had the one with the Isley Brothers sample. So his, again, his prominence, I think, is directly related to the, and there's no other way to put this, the prophecy that he dropped on <laughs> Death Certificate with regard to everything that transpired 
uh, regarding with regard to the riots. So, Ice Cube, DOS Effects, Check Yourself, and the remix uh, where they used the um, don't uh, get close to the uh, da, 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 uh, the, the Grandmaster yeah, Flash and the Ooh. Furious Five. They used the message sample that that came back uh, the following summer was huge. Then after that, yeah, I'm gonna say that was better than the original. Oh yeah, definitely. That was better than the original. Yeah, definitely. And it was less uh, das effectsy. Yeah, it was <laughs> way way less. It had way less das, way less sewer. On yeah. Uh, and to that point, I don't think they're gonna make it on the charts at any point. But I remember das effects, their first album crazy wild original style nobody'd heard anything yeah. like it the next yep. record they came out with hard it was easy to understand mm-hmm. and plain and clear and they were shooting people in the head <laughs> um then after check yourself now we're at september 11th and september 18th 1993 and crisscross featuring super tech with super cat with all right all right all right everybody all tight Oh, not, yeah. not much of a song, but hey, it was what it was and where it was. After that, uh, Intelligent Hoodlum with Grand Groove, and I believe that used that uh, Roy Ayers, some Roy Ayers uh-huh. sample. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that was, I mean, it was a decent song. I mean, Intelligent Hoodlum, he changed his name eventually to... But he was, well, tragedy. He was tragedy. Tragedy. Then that's right. The, then he, tragedy, the intelligent hoodlum. Then it was just the intelligent hoodlum. Then it was tragedy, Gaddafi. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he he went full circle. Place. Yeah, he went. He went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> wow, dude. Wow. And I, I don't talk about you know being heads that went to Syracuse University, right? Because. Uh-huh. You know, you think about the downing of the Pan Am Flight 103, yeah, mm-hmm. and what that right. meant to the Syracuse community, yeah. and, and that impact is is endured well yeah. beyond '88. Like, you know, Syracuse, man, it's like it happened yesterday, and there's yeah. an observance of that every year. So, you know, when when he took that name, you know, I was sitting back like, oh boy, man, yeah. why, man, why? I. Re- I remember an you know, it's article. It's like Lupe Fiasco. Go ahead. It's like Lupe Fiasco taking Fiasco, not knowing what it means, but like it sounded good. Well, after I remember reading an article after 9/11, and they were like, "When is there going to be an MC Bin Laden?" Because in Tupac's Outlaw Cruise, there was an Idi Amin. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We've had Scarface. We've had uh, any number of Gaddafi. Yeah, Qaddafi, like tragedy, Qaddafi. Well, there was remember because Dipset sort of called themselves the Taliban. You remember this? No. The Dips Dipset, Cameron, and those idiots sort of called themselves the Taliban. Wow. After September 11th, and I just remember sending back like, "You guys are playing yourselves." Like it was just yeah, you're you're playing with fire. Yeah, it's not even playing with fire. You're just playing yourselves. You don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're saying. You're just saying because these guys are you know shooting people or whatever they're doing but you're just saying it because it's something that's happening is current yeah. but you're not it's looking at what, what they, what, yeah it's provocative 
you know, but no, it's, it's it, they're not they're not listening to what they're actually who they actually like me coming up saying, yeah, we're the Nazis. Like yeah. you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Right. I mean it's Capone and it, Noriega. It's, a, it's an utterance that yeah, reveals your yeah. ignorance. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, right, Noriega. So or es- Pablo Escobar, you know. I mean the history of hip hop is littered with failed attempts at being edgy. Colombians, they never ran with your crew. While you acting all spicy and shysty, the only Italians you know is icy. Icy. Woof, dude. Dave got that off. (laughs) (laughs) Dave got that off. Shout out to De La Soul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of these days I'm going to pay for their album. Um, oh. No, I'm just playing. Okay, I, rerun. No, <laughs> not, not okay. <laughs> not okay <laughs> Which do be you be? <laughs> um, I remember that concert, of course. <laughs> um, so Moving then, on. after intelligent hoodlum, uh, <laughs> we have Lords of the Underground again. <laughs> I mean, the people at the costume shop must have been getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> so oh Lords God. of the Underground come in and their song what was it uh, Chief Rocker good song Boom, in the abstract the if you just Rocker. take it on its own good if song if you just listen to it yeah interesting but then that's not how it works because we know about Das Effects we've heard right. Das Effects we've heard Cypress Hill We've heard these other groups, and so it's clear. You just bit Das Effects style. I mean, their whole thing, their whole backstory, whatever it is. We're from the sewer. Well, we're from the underground. Well, what's the difference? Well, but there was actually a lot of tension over that style, right? From Lords of the Underground wasn't Chief Rocker. Yeah. It was a different record that had that whole straight out of the sewer, straight out of the underground vibe to it. Right. And that was the video. And it and it was like that record was kind of weak. I don't know who decided to make that the lead single, but relative to the other things that they came out with from that album, that was a weak first first record. You know, it was kind of reminiscent of the Fuji's dropping boom bath. And then they come out with um Mona Lisa and vocab and it's like why didn't you leave with that right yeah you know why did you leave with the weak record but yeah there was a lot of beef um between Das Effects and and you know Lords of the Underground over who were the the fathers of that style yeah and you can um I'm, there's all kinds of articles and videos and retrospective reactions to the beef. Uh, there's one, I know there's one on uh, all hip hop, and they kind of argue back and forth. But again, De La Soul had been out for a while, and here comes Lords of the Underground. So. I don't know exactly the details of the story, but as far as I know, Das Effects, rather, was out. And if they're out, and this is their whole thing, you can't come out and sound like them. We were still in the era when biting was a bad thing. Yeah, there's a sign at the door, no biting allowed. 
But once again, well-produced song, Molly oh, yeah. Mall. You know, well-produced songs, Molly Mall is. If these re- think about it, that these records still sound like good records, even if I hate a record, they still sound. You can play it today, and it's like you can still nod your head. It's still a well-produced song. Well, this is something we were talking about before we started recording, right? Like you think about the the way the hip hop landscape is changing at this time, and it's gone national, right? So it's mm-hmm. not New York centric anymore. It's not California or Los Angeles centric anymore. It's right. really expanded beyond the coast and it's gone nationwide. And so you have all of these different groups, you have all these different MCs, you have all these different types of records. But whenever someone came on, you knew who was on the track within the first two bars. Yeah. You knew who yeah. the MC was. Yeah. And some of the producers have such a a strong sound and such strong taste. Sometimes you knew who the producer was yep. in the first couple of bars of a record. Like, like when you hear scratching at the top of a record, the first thought is that's DJ Premier. Yep. When you hear horns on a record, the first thought is that's Pete Rock. Right. Yeah. Like it was distinctive, even with all of these people competing in the marketplace of hip hop, they somehow managed to be distinctive. And when I'm listening to a lot of stuff now, I don't know who I'm listening to. And that's more than me just evolving into a, you know, fuddy-duddy old man. Yeah. There's a there's a convergence now. Whereas before the drive was to find a way to be original. Well, as original as, you know, Lords of the Underground and Doth Effects, you know, sounded at the time, as we look at the chart, we have a, it's now on the chart we're at the week of October 9th and look who rears their ugly little heads again illegal <laughs> we gets busy uh-huh. is back at the number one spot from June is when they were initially there and now somehow through some miracle they're back at number one in October which is was it a remix it it doesn't say that it was nah, I don't think it was a remix Wow. They, they just had a second surge. Yeah. Who knows? It wasn't on a soundtrack, anything. It was just the song. So there they are. And fortunately, they only stayed there for a week. But then, oh, here we go again. So we had we had Legends. We had Getting Hardcore. We had uh, Ladies Getting Hardcore. We had Kids Getting Hardcore. The Puerto Rican said... Yo, we want to get in on the hardcore, son. <laughs> and wow. we got Fat Joe the Gangster. Wow. Getting hardcore with Flo Joe. And Joey Craig. Now, I know he did graffiti art. Maybe he was a real gangster. I don't know. But still. Uh, you got a well, Flo see, Joe. And then here comes your girl. Yeah. yeah Joe, Joe was Joe was Joe was you know Joe was pretty hardcore. He was down with he was down with DITC. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. you know you know Diamond D and all those guys mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> together. So who was making you know, great music? Right. So this this song is probably an, at for for this group in this time is probably an outlier. Yeah. Because this is like a this is like an underground artist coming up and getting a number one record. Yeah, and it was but weird. then. It was. It only lasted a week because then. Yeah, <laughs> boss is back. 
recipe of a hoe. It's so cold and indeed, she's back. You got to let a hoe be a hoe. Ho! So in this song, the twist is that this fake gangster woman from Detroit, the hoe, the twist is that the hoe is a dude. You got to let a hoe be a hoe. She's talking to the, calling the dude a hoe. She flipped, she, she flipped it on you. See, like that. Didn't make the song <laughs> see, any Today they would call him an F-boy. No. Yeah. But the song had the sound of the Onyx records. So I'm not sure if maybe Onyx made an appearance or Jam Master J did the um did the beat, but it definitely had an Onyx kind of sound to it. But yeah. then uh we get Trends of Culture, Valley of the Skins, which was they used another Roy Ayers beat. I think that everybody loves the sunshine. And oh, uh-huh. that was great. And that was sort of one of the... They were in more of that sort of native tongues kind of mode. Right. And but, but but there are two themes that are becoming pretty strong what's that? throughout the charts, though. Gravitating for content, and they're gravitating to more sexualized content. Yes. Insects and, and you know, people are starting to become purveyors of violence and smut. Now mind you, those have been a part of hip hop for a really long time, right? That there are certain things that are pretty consistent in terms of subject matter in hip hop. MCs being braggadocious, right? I'm the best to ever do it. No one's ever gonna be better than me. People are gonna talk about me for you know showing off your wares you know whether it's your physical might your economic prowess you know flossing has always been a part of hip-hop um you know battle rapping things like that right so when people talk about hip-hop glorifying materialism i'm like well check yourself because people have been doing that for a really long time in hip-hop but now it's like on hgh (laughs) right you know it's 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 to a degree and of a kind that we hadn't seen before and And there are visuals with it now right like because there's the music video right and i love the roots for never do in that collaboration with rafael sadiq because they problematized the entire production of the visual illusion that these artists made you think they were really living you know, from the house being rented for the weekend and the car being rented for the weekend, to like casting models to be in a video instead of just having your roundaway homegirls in a video. You know, we didn't know as an audience that all of this was fake, right? But yeah. you know it's going nuts when Eric B and Rakim came out with Don't Sweat the Technique and they <laughs> with do the, the white video girls. <laughs> and they're in a mansion with white girls in bikinis. And I'm like, wait a minute now, this is the God MC. Who's doing this? Right. In Miami. Yeah. With right. some girls but, in bikinis. Right. And so when you're looking at the charts, you know, for those who are listening and reading along with us, you can kind of see the things that are sticking by and large really, really violent or hypersexualized. Yep. And I think when you mention the videos, that plays into it because even as far back as that snow informer or i mean for the purposes of the chart earlier in the year 
when I brought the song up and the video came on, like, even if I don't really like the song, I'm kind of inclined to watch the video. And yeah, this is before BT uh, After Dark, right? <laughs> yeah. What was it, Dre? It was called BT Uncut. Yeah, we know you were there. <laughs> you weren't you the program director? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't there when it started. I was there when it ended, though. I was there when it ended. Good. You can you can claim credit for that. Uh, I'm not going to claim credit for any of that. But with the valley, <laughs> with this valley of the skins and the trends of culture. It's almost like, like you said, it's it's got a Bonita Applebaum-y kind of feel, but turned up a bit. Like, yep. it's not uh-huh. as innocent as Bonita. Bonita Applebaum, I could play if, you know, my mom's around. But Valley of the Skin, watch yeah, out. Yeah, you got the impression with Bonita Applebaum, like, he was trying to be bae. Like, he was trying to get with her. Like, yeah. that wasn't a smash and dash sort of deal. He's like, yo, I'm trying to build something with this chick. Hey, Benita, glad not, to meet you. And, not what you get from the other stuff. Yeah. Whew. Uh, yeah, now, uh, I don't know if Dre was there, but in Tribe did a show at some point in Madison Square Garden. and Oh, I wasn't there. I wish I was. They took this beautiful uh, Latina sister's Stephanie Santiago. Yep. And painted her up like the. Uh, Do you have a social security number, JJ? I mean, wow. <laughs> Listen. The whole government name. If you Google. Uh, no, she's like a. <laughs> because of this, she's like an Instagram celebrity. One Is of those she's types. Instagram famous? Yeah. yeah. But, but, but she was she was modeling before that, too. But that was like, you know, they yeah. took it to the nth when they, they did that. They painted her she up in the black and thing. red, black, and green. Body paint, and had her walk out onto the stage while they were doing Bonita Applebaum. So if you Google Tribe Called Quest, Madison Square Garden, Bonita Applebaum, whatever, you'll see, and then you'll be back on here like yeah. But I didn't have to Google it. You sent it to me. Oh well, good. You sent it. You sent it to the whole crew. It was like it was like that night of the Super Bowl when people were like <laughs> nipple and James had it in our inbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jimmy, <man>. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Flint is this is the quickest man. Shout Jimmy to Flint, Ste- aka. Oh man! <laughs> Shout out to Stephanie Santiago. She's on a podcast too. She's on a lip service podcast with Angela Yee. Shout yeah, Yee Yee. Shout out to them. Um, hey, the I don't even know how I got the- to follow. Yeah, I don't even know how I got it. Oh, Benita Applebaum. Yeah, but a trends of culture. Great song, ramping up the sexuality, but not in that degrading, exploitative sense quite yet. Sort of, not really. But yeah, this isn't this isn't going to be confused with Tip Drill. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, after that, we get Leaders of the New School and their appearance. Uh, What's next? Which was from their second album, their last album. So, yeah, second and last. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and the song was decent, but by that point, you're simply just waiting for the Busta Rhymes, uh, verse. right, <laughs> right, uh-huh. right. That was yeah. This is what it was. You're waiting. This the you're waiting for Busta Rhymes to rhyme because this is post scenario. It was clear that he was the the bright light. <laughs> he was the Lauren Hill. Of he the, was the Beyonce. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Yeah, really. <laughs> so then we get Eric Sermon with Stay Real, which I'm sure he's thugging it up, but I don't really remember the song. That was his first uh his first solo song. Solo. Really? Yeah, his first yeah, it was on that uh that horrible movie, Who's the Man soundtrack. Yeah, Doom, but that Who's the Man Doom soundtrack was dope. Yeah, the, the soundtrack was, was dope. Soundtrack, soundtrack was, was, was dope. Everlast putting it yeah, who's yeah. the man with the master plan? Soundtrack was hot. Doom, 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 was doom, doom, doom. Yeah, but it was a good moment for hip hop, though. It was. You know, it was, it was, this it was, was at a great point where people were not. Well, it was. It was hard to get movies made, and then even harder to get people to screen it because they thought that everyone would shoot up the theater. Right. Which, and, in some time, you know, case they weren't. And and I will say this: this was the point when. I had lost some respect for Siskel and Ebert because they gave that horrible movie two thumbs up. Really? They gave that horrible And I was like, they gave that movie two thumbs up? I was like, you know what? No. And after that, I was just like, mm, that movie was horrible. Like, I don't care who was in it. The movie, the movie itself was horrible. I loved the fact it was hip-hop. I loved the fact that it all these hip-hop cameos, the soundtrack was dope. But the movie was horrible. I never saw it. A, oh, but I think treat that you, might be, I might be a reflection of Ebert's politics, though, because, you know, Ebert was married to a sister and he has some progressive politics. And so it might have been the sort of thing where he was looking at, at it. No, and I agree there, like, because Ebert would always give a thumbs up to a film that gave you a different worldview. And that's why I like yeah. Ebert. But Siskel was always the hard ass. And when Siskel gave it a thumbs up, right. I was like, what the hell are you? Did y'all see the same film I saw? And I was, you know, <laughs> I'm young, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm a hip hop head. And if I thought the movie was a piece of shit, bam, come on. Like they needed me on that stage to be like, come America, on, fam, really? There's a long <laughs> I don't know if. Black folks start cooning, people feel real entertained. So, you know, no. <laughs> I'm surprised by that. So, the record itself, you know, no. I mean, point like his style was completely different like if you listen to him on the first epmd album yeah there's a difference and yeah. you look at fife from the first trial album to the second album fife evolved if you listen to ghostface on the album and then you listen to ghostface on only bill for cuban links he sounds like a different person but he it evolved right he right. sort of found his voice and got comfortable in his style right evolution it was a complete change yeah <clears throat> you know he was, it was a different hang, subject hang on for a second we're getting a bit of a we're getting a bit of a Dre are you getting a little breakup on Adolphus on the, yeah I am getting a breakup Adolphus did you oh, we have to get did you move around we have something? to get Jalen to come in no this is you you need to, to get the computer. you need to get your babies <laughs> put them in a time machine <laughs> Have them come back and help you <laughs> because it's just dude, you. Dude, I haven't moved. Huh. Oh, okay. Maybe I haven't, I've been stationary. Huh. All right. Well, after Eric Sermon stays real, now we're getting we're <laughs> in November. One, two, three, four, five weeks. The magnificent salt and pepper. Um. <laughs> Oh my! Take, put the put the charts in just a chokehold. 
for five weeks with Shoop, which it speaks to the power and the magnificence of the music video back in 1993 because yeah. Salt-N-Pepper hadn't been heard from since uh, Assault with a Deadly Pepper and the, the EU video. But well, this record is about to make a comeback because of the Deadpool. Oh, that's right. But oh. when this video came out, I don't know. Like I said on the clip I played in the previous uh, podcast, I don't know if they'd been doing Tybo, Jazzercise, <laughs> or what was going on. But they took off those eight ball jackets. And wow, wow, that's all I can say. I mean, it was just you talk about turning up the sexuality. They they turned it up way past 10. And everybody I remember when the video came on, every dude who was in the rec room at uh, college was glued to the screen. Song was trash. Horrible. (laughs) But man, that video. Yeah, because they were wearing like boy shorts and dancing on the beach. I think it was Coney. They were on Coney Island. They were dancing on the boardwalk. And um, and women, you know what? Women love this song. Women really? love this song. Yeah. Because they had this candy in the video. Yeah, but women, I mean, not even just the video. Women like this song. Like, it's a song like they, you know, because they're talking about guys. And, you know, it's it's a song where the women got a chance to kind of, you know, you know, put the men out there and talk about, oh, you know, can I get some fries and all that, you know, yeah. talking about the men in a way. It's women, I think this may have been the point where the, you know, the sexuality was a, the women finally got a point in sexuality as far as, oh, we're going to talk about the guys now. And so, the now, guys I can't think like, of any circumstance I can't think of any circumstance where a dude would walk from onto the beach in a suit Stripped down to a speedo and right. play football with his boys. Exactly. That's exactly. kind of weird. Exactly. Yeah, but I'm sure women say the same thing. <laughs> I can't I'm imagine a scenario where a weird. woman would leave a business meeting and walk down the street and strip down and start twerking. Exactly. So, so shoop, yeah, shoop. This was a you know the culmination of a whole lot of sexuality and a whole lot of violence in music. Well, 1993. I'm glad that it culminated in that video, which is still <laughs> one of my favorites. And so, ooh, man, I still, I still love you. If, if things don't work out with your husband of many, 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 many years, you know, you gonna do your Prince Marky D? <laughs> Baby, you need to swing. You doing your father MC? <laughs> I remember watching a, a horrible, um, what would you reality show? with salt and pepper uh, oh yeah just just for the salt segments i need a little i need a little more salt in my diet yeah, but what's <laughs> interesting though is that part of the reason why it was so hard for them to come back together and do this stuff is that they had changed right you know salt especially like you talk yeah. about reconciling ourselves with the things that we liked back then right well if you're the artist <clears throat> You know, it's it's like I remember um, Andre 3000 talking about this when they got back together to do that tour with Outkast. It's like, you know, I wrote that when I was 17 years old. 
and now I have a 17 year old son. I'm not that guy anymore. I'm a yeah. grown man with a different set of interests and I may have disavowed some of the things that I used to talk about. And so when you listen to Saul talk about doing some of those records, she's like, I'm not that person anymore. I'm deeper in my faith and I've kind of put that away and I'm not interested in going back to that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's tough because if you're an artist, like if you're one of those old school artists now and you still want to make money performing, there is a space for you to do like these old school tours. Yeah. But no one wants to hear your new music. They want to hear all the old stuff. <laughs> you got that right. Man, she damn sure put on that eight ball jacket for those Geico commercials. Oh, yeah. But I remember in that, same, in that same reality that show, that was the conflict because Pepper was cool with it. Like, I'll sing, you know, mm-hmm. push it and whatever. And Salt's like, you know, I'm 40-something years old. I got kids and, you know, right. I'm on the I'm, yeah. <laughs> stewardess I'm board at church. And right. right. You're, you're a deaconess. <laughs> you can't yeah. be a deaconess at the AME Zion Church or wherever she is and still doing some of this stuff. Yeah. You know, and that's the difference. Um, you know, do you get to evolve? Um, I think about a group like the Beastie Boys. What's crazy about the Beastie Boys is that they evolve as creative people, but their flow never changed. Yeah. yeah. And that throws people off because they think they're still the no sleep till Brooklyn Beastie Boys. And now nah, when you listen to some of their later work, they were on wax apologizing for some of the crap that they said when they were 20 something. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, about the stuff that they said about women, the stuff they said about drinking and boozing. Like, they're like, yeah, we're not those dudes anymore. But it's, it's rare. Like, if you look at other genres of music, we allow an artist to grow and change as they grow and change. But with hip hop, we want people to be what they were when we met them at 18. Yeah. But then again, a lot of these hip hop artists aren't skilled and talented enough to do something that would appeal to anyone currently. So I take, for example, any of these groups who came in with a gimmick. A gimmick is not going to last. Like with Eminem, for example, I figured like every album he was ramping up how crazy he was. And I'm thinking like Mm -hmm. at a certain point, you can only be so crazy and insane that you said the most outrageous, shocking things. And then mm-hmm. he had his, you know, period of, I don't know, uh, when he was going to rehab or he had retired or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when he came back out, now it's just entirely skill based. I mean, he's telling mm-hmm. stories, he's doing things, but his flow is just, and his lyrics are just incredible. So he's got a solid skill set to build on. Whereas yeah. other rappers, I don't know that they had that. Some of them kind of caught that lightning in a bottle and had a couple of hits. They had the right sound for the times. But there are very few that are skilled enough to do something artistic and creative that still would appeal to either new listeners or old listeners or people just looking for something artistically significant. And so, you know salt and pepper <laughs> sorry <laughs> but you know salt if you ever want to <laughs> if you ever want to perform perform you know do a private show 
What, what the hell dude, are we talking you about here? I don't the know. The of her marriage, like, every Seinfeld, like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> right, I'm becomes, here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so now... We're close out the... Yeah, we're going to close this down. At the end of 1993, Snoop Dogg, Snoop D-O-G-G, with What's My Name... And that is how 1993 ended. And like we already observed and mentioned, there's this push and pull. We're seeing this new thug, gimmicky, harder edge influence. But then we're still seeing these creative gems that somehow make it to the top of the charts. And when we did this the last time and then we had the technical problems and I went back and kind of looked and was listening to what we had left, I realized that I was asking myself why all of a sudden was being hardcore, shooting people, being a thug, being a gangster, being real hard, why all of a sudden did that come to the fore? And I realized that I totally skipped over the impact and influence of the L.A. riots. And I think that prior to the riots, you had acts like N.W.A., Ice-T, King T, people like that, who had this quote-unquote gangster rap style that they were doing that was kind of, it was a niche thing relegated to the West Coast, West Coast artists, some down South, a little bit of Midwest, but mostly uh, West Coast artists. Once the riots happened, it almost validated everything that, not everything, but a lot of what these groups, Ice Cube in particular, had been saying. And when the white media, mainstream media, was looking for, how could this happen? Why did this happen? People like Chuck D would say that everything you wanted to know about the riots was in the music before the riots took place. I think Ice Cube right. said it in an interview. And so right. then you had the Phil Donahue's and all the media oh, outlets yeah. rushing, putting microphones in the faces of these rappers on the West Coast to find out what created the circumstances that led to the riots, which left people like uh, Kwame or Kid and Play or whatever happy-go-lucky positive party rappers kind of out happy in the cold. Rap. Happy rap. Yeah. yeah. Well, it reminds me of like, I remember, um, I think, Drake, Drake, you might have been in this class too. Did you take sociology of the black experience with us? This was like spring 95. That sounds familiar. It was, do- it was a class with Dr. Ray Banks. And I remember it was spring 95 because that was also when the OJ verdict came out and we all came to class late because we were in the TV room. We were in the TV room. room. (laughs) Yes. We we were in that class together, Sociology of the Black Experience with Dr. Banks. And the main book was about sociology, the failure of a perspective. And the author of that book made the case that if sociologists had been paying attention to race and racism, they would have been able to anticipate and maybe prevent some of the riots and rebellions that took place during the 1960s. Right. I think about my own discipline of political science. 
you saw almost nothing about race, racism, urban politics in the major political science journals. And then late 1960s into the 1970s, there are all these articles about race and urban politics. They were being reactionary rather than having taken the initiative. And so to put that with what James is saying, you had these artists that had for well over a decade now been rhyming about the real conditions of central city life in post-industrial Los Angeles, post-industrial New York, whatever, and no one really paid attention. And then after the fact, they're like, wait a minute now, we missed something and they want to go back. But rather than going back and having a hard conversation about what made those riots happen, they wanted to have a superficial conversation yep. and stick a microphone in the face of people who weren't equipped to sort of lead an intellectual, analytical discussion about political economy and the creation of opportunity or the lack thereof. I don't even know if it was the fact that they couldn't they couldn't have the conversation. This is that the media didn't want them to have the conversation. So it was oh, more no. it, became, it became more about, you know, why are you guys burning down your own homes? Why are you burning down your neighborhood? Yeah. You're burning down your neighborhood. But it never got to them listening to what the answers were. So, you know, even the the hard the you know, the hardcore gangster stuff, they would they would go to, you know, like you would get like a Geraldo who would say, in your in your records, you're calling women bitches and you're shooting people and whatever, whatever, but not paying attention to the fact that this stuff was going on in the neighborhood already. This right. was the, this was they were reporting right. that what's going on in it. So they were they the media wasn't trying to listen to the conversation that even if you weren't, you know, articulating it as well. You you were you were trying to give them in the music what was happening in the neighborhood, but nobody really wanted to listen. Even after the riots, nobody wanted to listen. But I right. think they relate to it. They relate. Yeah. But I mean, with regard to how it shaped <clears throat> hip hop, I think that you figure the the riots happened in spring of ninety two, April ninety two. And then the attention shifts and the focus shifts to these artists who are rapping this like harder style, talking about where they're from, what they're doing. So then you figure with the production cycles or whatever, at the beginning of 93 is when we start to see this influx of these, you know, phony... uh, rappers and not, not phony rappers but these, these phony gimmicks. hardcore yeah, yeah phony hardcore gimmicks. rappers the, the costume the, the costume people got yeah. busy <laughs> they're like the uh, Oregon football team putting on different outfits <laughs> and so Pretty you much, figure but, I mean, that, go ahead you know there's not going to be a contemporaneous correlation right it's going to take time the music that would come out of the riots is going to take time to get to the marketplace, right? Right. It's not going to immediately be injected because it hasn't been made. So it's not going to be like the riots happen in April 92 and then in May of 92, there's all this music kind of reflecting on the riots. There's going to be a lag. There's going to be a period of time that goes by before those records get made and get in. So you're going to really see the impact of the riots a little later down the line, maybe in 93, 94 even. 
as some of those things come to the to the marketplace. But yeah. it's it's interesting because some people are taking that analytical edge to it, like calling out the society, like, yo, this happened because you let it happen. You know, when I think about the writings of a, a popular author now, like Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, the point that you get out of his piece, The Case for Reparations, is that the ghetto didn't just happen, nor did the suburbs just happen. Those things were created as a result of public and private policies, governments, private actors, all colluding to create opportunity for some while restricting opportunity for others. When yep. you look at a situation like a riot or a rebellion, you know, you had a people who were simultaneously over-policed and under-policed. They're over-policed because they're being harassed day in and day out because they're being viewed as actual or would-be criminals. Then they're under-policed because when they need 911, people are nowhere to be found. Right. And that frustration comes out when you watch people, because remember, this is way, this is before Amadou Diallo, it's before Sean Bell, it's before everything that we've seen in the last 15, 20 years, where there's video evidence where people are getting off. Like, this is the first big time I remember, like, I remember watching it and thinking, oh, they're going to prison because they have video. And then when they were all acquitted, it was like, what in the entire hell just happened? Right. And so some of the artists are talking about that, but then others, they're cashing in. Okay, people are interested in the thug. I'll play the heel and make some money. Yep. Right. <clears throat> but see, that, that's what I'm saying is that if you figure that the riots happened in April 92, then there was all sort of the aftermath and fallout and the attention shifted. Now we get toward, let's say, let's say it's even, I don't know, July of 92 and run DMC LL Cool J whoever go into MC Light. meetings yeah at their record label and figure okay what how should we how should this record sound what should we do what should and they look and see alright this seems to be the trend and the pop what's popular what's coming up what people are focused on and there's a clear shift because when we look at these charts and we look at 1992 there's no other than like the people who are already hardcore like the ghetto boys there's none of this like you don't see people getting shot and gangsters there's mc brains and there's shaba ranks and leaders of the new school and crisscross and arrested development that's in 92 nice and smooth gang star but then 93 there's a definite shift to hardcore and then I mean, I think that the riots unintentionally are going to uh, have some blame laid at at its collective feet. I suppose I don't know how to assign that, but I'm not. I'm not even. I don't know if I can. I'm going to give it the riots. I will give it to the reaction of the music of the record companies. So the record companies, because as as those records are starting to be made, the record companies decided that they were going to start pushing people to make these records because, right. you know, because the Ice Cubes had made this record yeah. that predicted it. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, we want to make what's going to sell. Yeah. And so, you know, Dr. Dre had a great year in 92 and, you know, people were having these great years. 
Yeah. And so after a while, when these records, are, so they're like, you know, they're going for the it's a business. They're going for the money. So they get all these they get all these rappers who could have made better records, or all these rappers who were making records who they weren't getting the attention, and they were pushing them to make harder records. Oh, make a record that sounds like Ice Cube. Make a record that sounds like this one. Make a record that sounds so everybody, all of a sudden you get, everybody shooting each other in the head. Every, you know, Onyx does well, Onyx, Onyx records is doing well. So now Run DMC's record is gonna sound like Onyx's record. And, and Boss's record is doing well, so now MC Light's gonna sound like Boss. And, it's, and this is what it comes. So to me, 93 is the year when it really went off the rails. When the record companies really had the most influence on what was being made and what was being consumed because it was also, not just the record companies, it was also the television, it was BET, it was MTV. These are the videos that were being played. I remember we were in um, we were in Syracuse and Joe Claire, who was hosting Rhapsody at the time, mm-hmm. he came up, he was hosting some event and somebody yelled out, yo, why you only play West Coast shit on Rhapsody? And he said, well, when I'm on the West Coast, they say, why, only, why you only play East Coast shit on Rap City? But the real was, they were just, BET was playing what was popular in the Billboard. And, that's what they, and they still, up until they, were, they just stopped playing music videos, period, that's what they would do. Their playlist would be based on what people were listening to in certain areas. Hmm. So if this was hot in the South and this is where who was selling records, that's what they would play on the, on, on the, na- on the network. Same thing with MTV. So after a while, we saw videos had the impact, record company had the impact, and we got 93, which was so different from 92, as far as mm-hmm. content, as far mm-hmm. as what we were showing people on in the music videos, it just went off the rails. That was it. Yeah. Well, so contrast the reaction <coughs> to the emergence of police brutality as an issue right. with the riots. But see, even, like, I'm sorry. You throw in the internet, you don't need the okay anymore right. from someone in a suit to get music out. Right. And with the evolution of technology, you don't need a big budget to throw something together to get online. Yeah. Like I think about the, the the death of Trayvon Martin, the murder of Trayvon Martin. And there was this rush of music that was coming out dealing with the death of Trayvon Martin. And this is sort of the genesis of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was political, it was artistic. I think about, um, what's the the dude that was doing, um, he did a cover of No Church in a Wild to talk about the the Trayvon Martin uh, murder. It's like um, something X, something with the J. Oh, Jahari? Jahari? Yeah, Jahari X. Yeah. Yeah, so he got on it. Then Yasin Bey, did the track with um, Dead Prez and, and Mike Flo. And then Willie D came out and had a Trayvon Martin record. You know, from Ghetto Boys. Yeah. And so how does this stuff get out? Like, no one's backing a Willie D project right now. Right. But right. Willie D can. <laughs> right. And so that's where things have really changed, right? I think that when some of these major major things happen in our society right now between the internet and the technology of making producing and getting music to the marketplace it's very different and you can have an almost instantaneous reaction to what's happening 
You can. And I, I was reading an article, I don't know if it was in, I forget where it was, but it was essentially saying before Black Lives Matter, hip-hop was Black Lives Matter because, you know... Yeah, good point. Whatever issue was happening before it would reach the mainstream, you'd hear about it in the music. And right. the whole... Just the term crackhead and <laughs> the fact that we looked at like, nah, you don't do crack. Like that's some other shit. That's what the junkies right. do. That's, right, exactly. That's hip hop mm-hmm. decided that. Exactly. That smoking weed was gonna be no, nah, that's cool. That hip hop decided that. Yep. In large part hip hop was telling you to stay away from blow back in like the early yeah. 80s yep. white lies don't do it I always say hip hop told me that I was anti-apartheid before I understand what right. understood what yeah. apartheid was that's yep. that's a sonic right. song uh, A-F-R-I-C-A Angola, Soweto, Zimbabwe Tanzania, Zambia Mozambique, Botswana so let us speak about the motherland like like exactly, I st- bro. Had I you been a pan Africanist. I don't know when that came out, but I still like I just rattled that off. I haven't heard that song in years. Thirty years. But that was like that was mainstream. That was hip hop. When I turned on they had a video for it. Yep. yep. And I'm like like it blew my mind. Like it clearly shaped my political, social uh outlook. And I'm certain that the music still has the same power and influence over kids today, but unfortunately, it's not. It's doing them a total uh, intellectual disservice. But in this country, you leave true. this country, they're using it the way that it was used in the '70s, '80s, and '90s, like in the, up to the early '90s. Like when you leave this country and you go abroad, people are still using hip hop in that way. My passport only has one stamp. So where is this that all this is happening? Who's who's using it and to what effect? It's happening in sub-Saharan Africa. It's happening mm-hmm. in Western Europe. It's happening in Latin America. Like if you look at a society like, like France, right? Mm-hmm. You know, France has always had this sort of thing where if you adopt the French language, you adopt the French culture, you can cease to be whatever you were and become French. The French don't even record data on race. So you don't know how many people of different races or ethnicities or religions are in that society, right? Except for the work that's being done by non-governmental organizations, which do their own counts. If you look at France, you look at the United Kingdom, you know, a couple of years ago, you had all these riots that were taking place in the suburbs. Right. And for your listening audience, you know, in, in Europe, the rich people kept the city for themselves and made the poor people live in the suburbs. So that's where the disparities were. Well, people were organizing around those things because you had these North African, Arab, and Muslim kids that were unemployed at a rate far greater than their white British or white French counterparts. They were mad as hell and they weren't taking it anymore. And so they were organizing politically, but they were also putting out the music. Um, you had a, a joint in in Africa, in I wanna say Senegal, where you had a radio station where they were rapping the news in French and then in the the language indigenous to Senegal, like the language that the Senegalese people would speak. 
Wow. Because they were trying to get people to be more socially aware of what was happening in their society and around the world. You go to China, there are people who are making music in China that are critiquing the Chinese state on civil liberties and civil rights and human rights. Wow. They're <clears throat> using hip hop to talk about the things that are creating ills in their society. The net and over here, we're back to partying and BSing. Yeah. Like we've regressed. We haven't evolved. We're, we're backsliding. We're back to having hip hop strictly as party music. Yeah, which is, which is sad. It's it's very sad. But I think that uh, we've, you know, we're on the right path. We're we're creating this this oral document right now because I've read a lot of stuff about hip hop and I see people complain on social media, or whatever, about hip hop, but. 1993 I think we've unearthed something so we're gonna <laughs> close it out here and then when we reconvene at whatever time we'll get into 94 and I think that we're not really gonna have to go too many years past 93 94 before things totally and completely have shifted in the other direction so Anyone who's worried that they'll have to be listening to this podcast for another 11 years before we get to 2016, <laughs> have no fear. And because it's hard to get these guys together, uh, hey. in, the, in the interim, there will be other episodes of the podcast because there's a lot to talk about. Um, and so yeah, we got to get to that East Coast, West Coast beef because it's coming. Oh, it, yeah, it's coming. But it's I think, coming. would it be fair to say 1993 is a tipping point, or is this the what is this the the, the canaries no, coughing and dying in the well? It's it's not the tipping point because when you talk about a tipping point, right? There's a turn. It's that point at which things change, right? We're mm -hmm. not there yet, but you can definitely see what's coming, like. The winds are blowing in the direction of a major change, and it's evident at the end of 93. It's in full bloom when you get to 95. That, that light like, at the end really of the tunnel is a train. When you get to 95, it, you, that's when you realize, yeah, it's a train and you can't move. It's too late. Well, <laughs> if we're going to if we're going to mix all kind of metaphors and birds and trains and blooming and <laughs> right. you know, just get sloppy with our metaphor game. Well. Here's the thing. I appreciate you guys doing this all over again. Uh, this is like our third shot, third time's the charm. Uh, everything appears to have been recorded up to par. And we are <laughs> some breaking hip-hop news that goes back to the 90s is uh, former rapper, current criminal, current murderer, oh. Cool C who's sitting on death row for a uh, murder he committed while engaged in a bank robbery. Uh, although he contends that despite the forensic and video evidence and eyewitness testimony to the contrary, he was at his mother's house eating food when the robbery took place. However, he currently sits on death row uh, in Pennsylvania. I believe it's Pennsylvania. And just... Either earlier today or last night, he 
uh, was granted his second stay of execution. So, cool C. Uh, lives to rot in jail another day. Uh, but we're going to take this episode out with his song, The Glamorous Life, which I didn't remember initially. Then when I played it, I remembered it's the, ooh, ooh, you got it, the glamorous life. So You know that ooh, ooh was the gang call, right? Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah that was the, gang, the call. gang call of the crew call for their set. Wait, that, that the Hilltop Hustlers or whatever? Hilltop mm-hmm. Hustlers, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you threw that out there in the wrong neighborhood or around them and you weren't down, that was a beat down. Really? Wow. Yeah. This is a New York thing or just a Philly thing or an East Coast? Philly. Like, how did both you guys, how's it just that it a Philly well thing. known? Yeah, that was a Philly thing. Yeah, it was definitely a Philly thing. And even, even how they dress, like those rounded gazelles uh-huh. and the hats and all that stuff like that was like really like their crew thing that they did. Really? So, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> East Coast don't play. <laughs> uh-uh. Damn. Getting... Getting my East Coast schooling on. But, uh, all right. Well, job. I hate it. by the way, I hated this damn song. <laughs> I didn't like it either, but it's catchy. He had it better is. work. <laughs> you liked it. <laughs> you know, ooh, ooh, you got nah. it. The glamour. Nah, because then it became, life. in New York, it became the basis of the dish, man. Like when Triple Fat Gooses started going out of style. <laughs> like people will put you on blast like ooh ooh you got it a triple fat goose oh I remember that that's funny yeah these are some hurt feelings right here man cause for oh, real you getting shamed for wearing a triple fat goose and it's oh. 20 degrees outside that goose was warm it was oh. warm <laughs> it was I, warm but you wearing a you wearing a year old coat and you getting clowned you know they, they had people out there getting beat up by the hawk because they didn't want to get clowned for wearing a triple fat goose yeah i have no idea what you're talking about but (laughs) (laughs) drake can back me up on this jc's like i was it was warm but yeah like i was i was slide slide slippity slide (laughs) on the beach i just had to google triple fat goose And you can go to triplefatgoose.com. <laughs> 80s yeah, fashion trends. The triple fat. Dang, it had like I the. Was, it was like puffy. Yeah, it was yes, puffy. I was, was walking down uh, <laughs> K Lane High School my freshman year on a cold winter day. And somebody hit me with that triple fat goose drink. Ooh, I, I could have did the glory tear right there, man. I was hurt. <laughs> and I never wore that coat again. And it was cold as all get out. And I never wore that coat again. My mother was like, I don't know what's wrong with you. I'll wear it. Because it was expensive, man. But I got shamed. They weren't cheap. They were not cheap. I got shamed. But mom, the shirt is plaid with a butterfly collar. (laughs) Right? And it was only a year, man. Like the fashion was ruthless. It went out real quick. Yeah, I was, I'm was, looking was back on that. You were an idiot because the coat you wore <laughs> after that wasn't as warm. He said somebody hit me with the triple fat. <laughs> Dude, I was up there like Denzel hanging on the tree with the glory tear, man. Oh. It hurt. <laughs> Cut me deep. I mean, 
This was a puffy ass jacket. Did just have two stripes across the chest? <laughs> nah, I had like I had one that was almost like a trench, man. It was three quarter, had the leather, the wrap around the waist. Ooh. Like it was warm, man. I love that joint. So <laughs> it was like wearing a, it was the it was move. Like wearing a 89, down, it was a wrap. Yeah, yeah you were wearing <laughs> a down blanket. You know. Real quick, Basically. I, I, I did the exact same thing. I jumped on the end of a fashion trend. I had inside out. No, I had a I had a, a three quarter length. It was damn near a full trench acid wash coat. <laughs> yes, with the, with the fake uh, not what's he call it? Not no, not shepherd. What was that called? Shearling. The, the sheepskin. The fake sheepskin in in yeah. the inside. But it was a full light blue acid wash yes. coat. And I got it for like Christmas. And acid and wash. You loved it. And acid wash was dead by February. <laughs> you got a, you got a picture? <laughs> oh, I wish I oh I wish I had a picture. If I, I have to go to my mother's house and check check around for that picture. <clears throat> I know I have a picture of it. And it was like it was big and it was warm, but I had it for like a month. And after that, I was wearing like some little thin ass coat. My mother's like, why don't you wear your big coat? Like, it's not mm-hmm. that cold outside. Yeah, okay. Dude, you somewhere getting mustard stains on it so you'll never have to wear it again. You sabotaging the coat. Oh, man. He said they hit me with the ooh, ooh, and, and I never wore it again. Never. Ah. Never. You got it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, that... Yeah, like, my, my, mama, my mama bought me that coat. <laughs> oh... I said, Mom, the shirt is plaid with a butterfly collar. Oh, man. Well, on that hilarious, hilarious note, um, we're going to bring this episode to a close. And I will check back in with you fellas uh, for the follow-up, 1994. And anytime in between, I'll... uh, let you know what the topics are going to be and if you guys are available for other episodes on other topics uh be more than happy to have you so uh i know you got it's one it's almost two o'clock your time so (laughs) appreciate it and uh i'll catch you on the next episode yeah i'm gonna pay for this tomorrow because the little bug's gonna work me over Uh oh well hip-hop appreciates it Indeed. <laughs> all right, y'all. It's always a good time. Always all a right, good time. Fellas. I enjoyed it. All right, I'll catch y'all later. Peace. Peace. Peace.
cause I like a girl that's fine Give her everything that she wants Gold the money so she can flaunt And show that she got Gucci, Louis Vuitton MCM styles of every kind Make a design, I'll paint us This girl, man, you gotta just see her Sooner or later she'll be my wife And that's when she'll live the glamorous life So you can live the glamorous life. 